We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's try to let's transition over the mailbag, Ryan. We got a lot of really interesting questions in the mailbag today, and I'm sure there's going to be some more that are going to come. But obviously, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of talk about the quarterback position. But we just got a super chat. That's I was hoping someone was going to ask this question. Oh no! And we shouldn't do it because we shouldn't give this outlet oxygen. But I just I just can't help myself. But let manager one says reaction to on three having Micah Bell as a three-star and the number and the 92nd ranked player in Texas. Uh, I mean, he was what number 67 at one point, right? So he right. dropped even further is kind of the whole point. I mean, my, 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 my reaction to it, my reaction to it is that I don't really understand it. I mean, to be honest, I would honestly, and maybe, you, I don't know if you, you can be honest. This, what's that? Your reaction to it is they're awful at rankings. Well, I, I awful but, at rankings, but full transparency. I would love to just sit down with someone over there and just say, "Hey, I see that you have Mike Bell ranked very low. Tell me why." And I would right. just love to have that conversation because I, I honestly just don't understand it. I really can't. I mean, a kid right. that is a high level athlete, 10, 300 meter guy, sub twenty one in the two hundred, has an offer list of Notre Dame, Georgia. Like, there's a lot of high level. Right caliber schools coming after him has a brother that plays at Georgia and he is a three-star, the 92nd player in the country. Every other outlet has him as a top 150 national player. Right. SI 99 has him as a top hundred guy. Uh, ESPN has him at number 109. Rivals has him at 141. 247 is at 145. And they have him as the number 92 player in the state of Texas. Right. Like, and look, some of the rankings they had are just stupid. Now it's not anti Notre Dame because they have Brandon Hillman in the top 150. That's wild. Right? I didn't I mean, see that. You know, one. yeah, and and so, but like they, he, there's some dumb Notre Dame stuff. Like they dropped Sullivan Absher over 200 spots. He was like, in, he was like 58th, and they dropped him to like 266. Why? Because of the All Star game. Like if you didn't anticipate he was going to struggle in pass pro early that week, after yes. just getting the notice the week before he was even going to play in the game, mm-hmm. like you, you're you're an idiot. I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. You're just an idiot. Like you're not good at this. You should, no, now, number one, I would not have had out Sullivan Absher rank number 58. That was too high. Sure. But now you've overcorrected 
and now it's just silly on the other end. But yes. here's the thing. This isn't even about Notre Dame guys. Like, if my only objection to their rankings was Notre Dame guys, then you would say, I think maybe you're the one that's biased. Because yes. you're telling me the only school that they jack rankings up is Notre Dame. I'd yep. say, you know, yeah, you're biased. But, you know, beyond them not having Braylon James as a top 300 guy, beyond some of the other absurdity of their rankings, there's other things that you look at and say, boy, this is just stupid. Like mm-hmm. some of the guys they have ranked in the top, like really high in the rankings, like they have the Adebowore kid for going to Oklahoma. It's a really good player, top 50, 75 kind of guy, really good player. They have him fourth overall in the country. Yep. And they have Monroe Freeling, who I love as a player, mm-hmm. who I wish Notre Dame would have landed as the number seven player, the number one offensive tackle in the country. He's not. It's just like, based off of the all-star game. That's all it is. It, it, it's but- absurd. But, but, but Brian, like, my, my, my objection would be, though, is if you're going to go that route, at least be consistent because Dante Moore correct. was fantastic at the All-Star correct. game. He's your fourth-ranked quarterback. That's... And the number 20 player in the country. He was so clearly the best quarterback there. Yes. That is, you know, now you can say, well, look, Nico and Arch didn't play in that game. Okay, fine. But anyone that saw Jackson Arnold at the Under Armour game and then saw Dante throughout the week, not the game, but the week of preparation, and you think – that Jackson Arnold's a better quarterback than Dante Moore, you have lost your quarterback evaluation privileges. There's yes. another kid that they had in there. They had this kid named um, kid named uh, Sam Levitt, who is going to Michigan State, right? I've seen this kid play. He's okay. He's a borderline four-star quarterback. Nobody else has him even as a four-star. Now, mm-hmm. that's not the end-all, be-all, because if you think a kid is good, it shouldn't matter what everybody else has. But they have him as the number 74 player in the country, 76 player in the country. Nobody else has him even as a four-star. That kid is not there. They have that kid over 60 spots ahead of Jason Moore. They have Jason Moore as the number 133 player in the country. And it's like, like they have this, they have this cornerback going to Ohio state ranked really high. This kid named Jermaine Matthews. They have him as number 14 player in the country. He's not even a top hundred player in my opinion. And nobody else has him in the top hundred. Like they're the only ones that have him anywhere close to that. Did did you see that? Did you see the drop that Kermani McLean had? He's number 46 oh, now. I'm like, I know. The kid's yeah. a stud, man. Like, this is doing? where these <laughs> rankings are so jacked up. Like, Rivals has him as number 46, and ESPN does him in the top 300. Like, these rankings are so jacked up, but he's definitely not number 14. And there's you a said lot Brandon, of like Brandon Ennis was a guy that was really down 94th. The list, right? <laughs> 94th. Stud in person. So, like, you're going to rank this kid real high. Okay, fine. But you're going to tell me that there are 93 players better than Brandon Ennis? You're going to tell me that there are 132 players in J. To me, I, if you'd have had Jason Moore 33rd, I'd have said I might even have him a couple spots higher. But that's fair. That's mm-hmm. fair. He's in the you're in the range, but you had him 133rd. That is one of the dumbest. They had Luke Montgomery 22 spots ahead of Jason Moore. Like that's just that's clown stuff right there. That's and clown it, stuff right there. As a person that saw Luke Montgomery in person, wasn't impressed. Wasn't yeah. impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some oh, of yeah, the stuff. As, uh, Drake Bowen was the 21st ranked linebacker. I did see that yeah. one, man. I saw that. It's just, yeah. yeah. Here's so, another one. To show that I'm not biased, they have, because y'all know how I feel about LSU and, and their head football coach. They have Shelton Sampson. Have you seen him, Ryan? Yes. Long receiver. They have yeah. him number 84 in the country. They have Jalen Brown at number. Let me see. Fine, where he's in the one one twenty six. Sheldon Sampson's a five star, in my opinion. 
They have him 84th. Jalen Brown is without question a top 100 recruit. They have him at number 126. Like some of these rankings are just flat out stupid. Yes. I mean, just flat out stupid. And if you're going to say, well, like I've heard people say this, well, they they rank off projection. Okay, then why is Samuel and Pemba ranked 136th? Right. Like if you want to say Samuel and Pemba's ranked 136 because you're more of a floor team, fine, fine, because he's very raw. But if you're going to then with some guys, like you said, Ryan, there's no consistency. With some guys, it's about, oh, here's where they are from a projection standpoint. You know, we love this guy's upside, but this guy's more of a, you know, oh, here's what he is now. I mean, some of these rankings, Ryan, are just – I'm looking at him and I'm just like, look, yeah. I think Chris Vizina is – I don't think he's a top 150 player. They have Chris Vizina number 154. Way too low. Way yeah. too low. Way yeah. too low. So I'm it's lo- not I'm just Notre Dame some guys. Of them now and it's just, yeah, these, some yeah. Of these are wild, man. It's They're not wild. just Notre Dame players that these are jacked up on. Like Jaden Rashada is overrated as a, as a five-star. They have him at number 176. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. It's like – they have Dylan. They have Eli Holstein seventy spots ahead of Dylan Lonergan, who Alabama took after already getting the other kid. Like I'm sorry, he's such a significantly better player than that kid. So, you know, people can say, "Oh, you know, you're biased because you're pro Notre Dame." Okay, I mean, I don't think that I am. I, I work very hard not to be biased, and so that's why I'm pointing some of these out, Ryan. Like some of these rankings, I'm looking at this like forget the Notre Dame guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, forget how stupid it is to have Drake Bowen 211 and Jaden Osbury 219. It's like, how are you going to have some of these other guys ranked there? How are you going to have Jason Moore, number 133 player in the country? If Jason Moore is the 133rd best player in the country, this is the greatest recruiting class in the history of high school football. Troy Bowles is 226. That is ridiculous, man. These are absolutely nuts. Malik Hartford at number 248. Oh, (laughs) did you see that one? I did it. I have Malik Hartford (laughs) as a borderline top 100 guy. They have Malik Hartford at number 248. That's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Absolutely absurd. So I don't know if they're doing this to for for clicks. I don't know if they're doing this uh, to be different. I, I don't honestly have a clue how they got here or if they're just this bad at it. But these are some of the – like Caleb Presley at number 281. I mean, just some of these – I mean, just some of these – he should be much higher than that in case oh, you're no. wondering like where, where some- I'm coming from. Someone said 2024 is even worse. Do I want to go look at this? I don't know if I want to. Yeah, yeah don't. You're just going to get mad. But yeah, so so the takeaway from this is, honestly, I'm just going to stop caring what on three says. Yes. I, I just, it's gotten to the point where their their rankings are so bad that it's like, like what we like to do is, is when it, when the rankings come out, we'll write a story about it because it's newsworthy, right? Hey, rankings came out. I'm not writing a story on this. It would get a lot of clicks. Trust me, it would get a lot of clicks. But I feel like I'm feeding the beast. Yes. Like I'm feeding this insanity, this just utter absurdity of these rankings. And just I look at it, Ryan. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is just really bad. Like their their stupid team formula. Figure, let me help me figure this one out. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has the eighth best class in regard to average ranking, but they're twelfth yeah. in their their overall ranking. Now I can understand that if they only sign like sixteen kids. He's had 24 kids. Yeah. So it's like, explain to me how you got there. That's what I'm trying to understand. Is explain to how I I want someone to explain it to me. I just want to understand. Yeah. Like, are you just like, this is, this is an absurd thing. Like they have Notre Dame's class ranked 12th, not, not their consensus rankings, their personal rankings. They have Notre Dame ranked 12th. 
Notre Dame has one five-star and 15 four-stars. So that's a total of 16 players that are four or five stars. Oklahoma Mm -hmm. has 12, three five-stars and nine four-stars. And then Oklahoma has 13 three-stars. So Oklahoma has one more player in the class than Notre Dame. Notre Dame has three more four and five-stars combined. And Notre Dame has a higher average per player ranking. And yet Oklahoma has a higher ranked class. Now, same point total, but they ranked Oklahoma higher. Explain that to me. Can't. Explain that to me. Tennessee's another example. Notre Dame's average ranking is 91.08. Tennessee has 12 players that are four or five-star players. Notre Dame has 16. Tennessee signed 25 players, one more than Notre Dame, and yet they are ranked ninth. Notre Dame's average ranking is 91.08. Oregon's is 89.73, and yet their class is ranked eighth. And so I look at it, and it just like some of this stuff just doesn't make sense. Doesn't. It just, it really doesn't make any sense. Like how you can have those classes where you have them. It just, it's bizarre. It really is bizarre. And so I just look at it and I'm like, it's to the point now where after talking about it today, I'm just kind of done talking about it because yeah. it's Clickbait. just so dumb. I mean, I'm yeah. looking at this now, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, eight. Oregon has the 18th highest ranked class on average ranking per player. Mm-hmm. And yet their grade has them eighth. And I just, um, I, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what that means. I don't know. I either. really don't. So yeah, Ryan. So yeah, I just, I don't understand. It's just so dumb. And it's to the point where I'm just kind of tired of talking about on three. They're an embarrassment really when it comes to rankings. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get any better with all of them because I, the, some of the moves that I'm hearing that two four seven is going to make with who's going to be in charge of their rankings now. It's like that. That's just a, you've gone from Barton Simmons to this. It's like you don't care about accurate rankings anymore. You really don't. It's some of it's just so absurd. So I just, I just, I mean, if you bring a super chat up about it, great. But I'm not writing about it anymore. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because some of it's just gotten so ridiculous. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let's go back to the questions here. We have a question from MT41. The question is this. It says, uh, I know it's still early, but do you guys see Adarius Hayes having a similar recruitment to Caleb Downs? Absolutely love Notre Dame, but ultimately can't see himself leaving the Southeast. That could be the end result, but I don't think it would be for the same reason. I, I think he genuinely likes Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame was was never a school that was that I really felt was going to be was going to get Caleb Downs. With with this kid, I do think that Notre Dame has a legitimate shot to get him if he decides soon. I could see him waiting so long to decide that Notre Dame just bows out because they've got other guys. But it could end up having the same result, but I really don't think it'll be for the same reasons. So, I mean, kind similar recruitment to Caleb Downs in the end result. Yeah, I could see that. But the process would be a lot different in my opinion. Because where with Caleb Downs, I honestly I, – I, I think he liked Notre Dame. But I always felt like his parents always liked Notre Dame more than he did. Right. And he liked Notre Dame. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he didn't because he did. But it's more so about I just felt like – I feel like this kid likes Notre Dame a lot, and I could see him picking Notre Dame. I just – it's just going to take a while to get there if he does do it. And by that time, who knows where Notre Dame's at in their in their class at that point in time is kind of where I, I look at that one, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I th- I think that he, I mean, because I've talked with Darius and I will say he has, he has real interest in Notre Dame. Like there's no doubt about it. He's very, very intrigued by the process and everything I've heard is that he comes from a great family. They clearly understand making a proper decision. And to your point, and you know, I've talked to people, including a Darius, where I, I don't think there's a concrete timeline in effect here, right? Like I think that he's just trying to, ease the process and this one could be one that's going to be on the table for a while so it's going to be a hard one to pull out of the sec country right out of florida but i think notre dame is putting themselves in a pretty i mean they're in a good position they are with him Mm -hmm. i mean i like i don't think it's unrealistic at all it's just to your point brian i mean notre dame's starting to get a lot of traction with a lot of players right a lot of recruits in 2024 so is there a point where you just can't wait any longer right like is that that's the question mark for me I would, lo- I would personally love for him to be in Notre Dame's class because he is a kid that could play Mike. He could maybe play a little Will, and he could play Viper down the line. Like, he's got that type of body type. So I think he's a tremendous player, but and I think there's real interest. But it's about when it happens and if the class is filled up at that point because there's a lot of traction with a lot of other players right now. Right. Let's get to the next question from Broke Neck Boy. The Ohio State game is going to be like this year's game, but flipped. Inexper- inexperienced quarterback going into a hostile environment. I unfortunately think that you're assuming something that you probably shouldn't assume. 
And that is that Notre Dame Stadium will be hostile. Because the reality <laughs> is, what we know about Notre Dame fans is they, some, too many Notre Dame fans, value making a buck as more important than being in the stadium supporting their team. And so there are going to be a lot of Notre Dame fans that buy tickets for this game that are going to say, hey, I can make $1,000 selling this to an Ohio State fan. And guess what? They're going to sell it to an Ohio State fan. Simple as that. That's just what's going to happen. And why do I think that? Because it happens every other time they play a big game like this. So unless Notre Dame fans or Notre Dame finds a better way to sell tickets to make sure that the stadium is actually pro-Notre Dame, because here's the thing, I don't think Notre Dame cares because they're making money off of it. I don't think they ultimately care about that. They've never shown me that they really have a desire to make sure that Notre Dame crowd is pro-Notre Dame when it comes to numbers in these big games. I think they care more about let's make a lot of money. And here's the thing. When, when other schools come, there's just a lot more money to be made for a million different reasons. So unless that changes, I don't think it's going to be an overly hostile environment. The other part of it, I, I agree with you to a degree. If their starting quarterback is Devin Brown, then yeah, it's probably going to be very similar to last year's game because he has he didn't play. Did he play at all this year, I Ryan? I, at all. I don't think but, so. So I'm, I'm looking right now. Yeah, he did not. He might have played a snap, but he didn't throw a pass. Mm-hmm. So he'll be an experience and he doesn't have CJ Stroud's ability where he could step in as a starter and, and have the early success that CJ had after not throwing a pass as a freshman as well. Right. If it's Kyle McCord, Kyle McCord's played a lot more football. Now he's never started. Well, actually he did start a game. He started a game last year uh, actually. And, and against Akron and threw for 319 yards and two touchdowns and a pick against Akron when CJ Stroud was out, but he threw 38 passes as a red shirt freshman in 2021 and he threw 20 passes last year. So he's got 58 career passes. So a lot more than Tyler Buckner had, or decent amount more than Tyler Buckner had. And he has an extra year in the system than Tyler Buckner had. So, and it'll also be game four as opposed to game one. And that that can't be dismissed. Can't yep. be dismissed. So I'm um and I was fine. I mean, I, I'm I was fine playing Ohio State in the opener. I, I would still still, even retrospect, would have rather it been in game one than game four. Last mm-hmm. this past year, no, game one was Notre Dame's best shot to beat Ohio State, in my opinion. If they'd have played him in game four, I don't know if that's the case. So that's how I view that one. But I hope yep. that you're right, broke neck boy. I hope that you're right, and it is a hostile environment. But I just, I don't see it. Man, it needs to be, man. I mean, I hope, I hope that fans are starting to get more excited, right, about yeah. the future of Notre Dame football, and they hold on to their tickets a little bit longer. I would hope so, but right. I guess we'll see. But I mean, your regardless, your past, your desire to make a buck. That's really yeah, what it boils down to. Exactly. Exactly. Which is I fine. Mean, make some money, but sell it to a Notre Dame fan. You know, like that's yes. Set, sell it to me for 20 bucks instead right. of the hundreds that it probably cost you. Right. So yeah, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you're kind of missing the point there. <laughs> but maybe, maybe they're IB fans and they'll, yeah, there you go. They'll make it happen. I don't, yeah. again, I, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't, I don't know if we have that level of class, that, that societal level of class people hanging on our message board. Not many. Not men anyway, or hanging on our show. But I wish that were I wish that were the case. It is what it is. We got a question here from Jordan Schreiber. Can you talk more about B, how BK hamstrung Ty Maurice on a quarterback recruiting and ending up with Angeli? Why did BK not want offers going to Klubnik and Aller make make it make sense? It's it's not so much they didn't want an offer going to Aller, it's just that he dragged his feet on it and and getting the offer out and getting the okay to go after a guy. And, and so that's just really what it comes down to. Look, Ryan, here's the deal, man. You're not going to get a kid like Drew Aller if you don't get on him early and if your head coach is a part of the process. You're not going to get a kid like Cade Klubnik unless your head coach is part of the process. And the reality is, is 
Tommy liked him. Tommy developed a relationship with him, but you know, Tommy didn't always have the authority to say, Hey, that's the guy I want. Let's go get him. That's just the reality of it. And, and now he does. And it's not a coincidence that now that he's got that authority that they've landed Kenny Minchie and, and, and CJ Carr. Now, obviously Kelly liked Dante Moore, and so they went after Dante Moore, but more For often than reason. not, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't necessarily the case. Sure. So, and, and honestly, part of me wonders, I have no evidence of this. So this is literally just me kind of the, and popping in my head. But I, I feel, and, and I've talked to different people, said Brian Kelly knew last year was going to be his last year before the season started. He knew. Was he recruiting Dante the way he was? Because he wanted to be able to recruit him where he was going to go. I mean, it's thoughts cross my mind. Thoughts cross my mind. Would he be that so, spiteful? Would he be that? Spiteful? Not spiteful. It's not spiteful. It's looking. Brian Kelly's the most narcissistic, self-absorbed person I've met in a, like ever met. Honestly, like met in person. Mm-hmm. Like we've known other narcissists who are self-absorbed nationally, right? I'm talking about people I've met. I've met sure. those people. Sure. Uh, and so it's more about like, hey, I know I'm leaving. I don't know where I'm going to go yet, but I'd love to have a kid like that as my quarterback. So let me recruit him now, knowing that I can go get him then. So it's not spiteful like to hurt Notre Dame. It's more of just to help himself is gotcha. more so because he's really talented, right? I mean, yes. any idiot can see that. Well, most. <laughs> not all. Not all. <laughs> but next to yeah. Jackson Arnold, not nearly as yeah. talented. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. So I, I think that's really what it comes down to is just is more laziness. Like, uh, I mean, some of the stories I've been told and what bothered me is that you had all these people in the media that would like get mad at people like me or the, the kid from the Tribune that wrote an article like that. Now they're the ones saying the same thing and like just completely like retconning the idea that they didn't say they didn't defend him as a recruiter his whole career. Now wanting to say, oh, he didn't recruit. Also, I'm like, OK, you're, you're not being honest there. But yeah, he just it was just laziness and just apathy and just arrogance and anything else you can think of. But uh, it's a thing of the past. And honestly, I'm over it. You know, it's a year removed and Notre Dame's quarterback room is looking very good. And I'm happy about that. And that's what matters to me. No doubt. Jordan Schreiber with another one says, can you compare Kenny's upside to Dante's upside? Uh, Ryan, I'd say they're very similar players. Yes. Dante has Kenny has a better mind like uh, from a he he can absorb information a lot faster than Dante. Dante and him both have an elite feel for the game. Dante just has better physical tools in my opinion. I agree completely. I agree completely. I, I I remember when they finally were making traction with Kenny at the end there, right? And they got the commitment from him. Honestly, I, I remember I think we had a conversation Brian where I was like, you know, Kenny is kind of similar to Dante, right? Like there's a lot of parallels to their games, you know, from a body type perspective, from an from a ability to throw with anticipation and throw from different arm angles. And, you know, like there's a lot of there that I think is very consistent. I would say to your point, and I agree 100% on it, is that especially seeing Dante in person, again, disclaimer, I haven't seen Kenny Minchie in person throw yet. Mm-hmm. But I saw Dante Moore throw in person. I will say, folks, it's it's real, man. It's real. Yeah. Like the ball comes well, out. You saw what you saw in film, Ryan, which yes. is the exactly. ball explodes out of his Ver- hand. Verification yeah. from seeing it in person compared to what you saw in film. The kid's the real deal, man. If he has his head screwed on straight and people around him don't mess him up, Dante Moore is going to be a really good football player. Really good football player. So, right. yeah, I agree. I think his tools are just a little higher. They do every. They do it. A lot of things very similarly. It's just I think I think that Dante is just a little more of a supercharged package, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
the ball just comes out of his hand so easily. Yes. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. It's just a really loose, easy skill. It just, I, it, it really is. What I really like about both players that they also have in common is that they're very relaxed. Yes. They don't ever seem, they don't ever seem like they're frazzled, man. It doesn't ever look like anything's moving fast for them. They just look like they just see the game at a very slow level, which is a compliment because it just, when they're facing pressure, when they have to get out of the pocket, they just don't ever look rushed. And a lot of guys become frantic in those situations. And I just, I don't think Kenny or Dante get really frantic in those types of situations. Yep. Agree. Both talented. Dante's just, just, I mean, physically. The only, the only question I have about Dante is just, well, I've expressed it. I've, I've mm-hmm. expressed it, but, but he's got incredible talent. He really yes. does. Jason Smith is, does Kenny Minchie have a Deshaun Watson style, type style of play? Not at all. No. N- not at all. The very different players. Deshaun is much thicker, plays a much more aggressive running game. And Deshaun Watson was a thousand yard rusher as a sophomore, Ryan. I mean, yep. very different games. And, very- and he's also more of a, Kenny Minchie is a kind of more of an anticipatory thrower. Deshaun Watson was kind of a see it, throw it type of guy, mm-hmm. right? Like he had a little backyard football to him, which that was his style and it worked. Which for is him. also and why it's... he threw a bunch of interceptions. Exactly. But it's yep. also why he makes a ton of plays. I mean, that's just to your, to your point. Now, Deshaun wasn't, you know, he, 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 that he, as he got older, he didn't make as many mistakes, but he always, he's always kind of been that way to a degree. Yep. But yeah, they're different players. They're very, very different good. players. I would very not good. compare Kenny Minchie or Dante Moore. I think Kenny Minchie and Dante Moore are incredibly talented players. And very similar players. If you want to compare an NFL quarterback to them, I think they're both very similar to, to Patrick Mahomes. Now they lack the physical, like the size and the big arm, but as far as how they play, like just the the kind of the loose, the easy, the you know, the change in arm angles, just the anticipation. I think that's probably one of the guys I would compare him to if you're looking for a a guy in, in, in college. And I think if you're looking for a, a college quarterback to compare him to, I think they both compare quite favorably to Bryce Young as passers, right? I think Kenny's got a little bit – well, no, that's – you know, I think Bryce is a little bit more – Bryce and Kenny are both more mobile than Dante is, but they're all good athletes, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's he's probably more their style. He's, they're more Bryce Young than they are Deshaun Watson, in my opinion. Good you agree with yeah. that? No, I do. I do from a play style perspective, absolutely. I mean, Deshaun, again, just – kind of separating those Deshaun is just very he's a backyard quarterback man which is fine I mean it, it's worked for him right he's won a national championship doing it he was a first round pick doing it right and he's made a lot of money in the NFL doing it but right. it's just not it's not the yeah, same these aren't criticisms of Deshaun Watson I mean he's just a heck a of a player just a style person yeah. he could be a better person yes. uh but player wise it's not it's it's it, you've got to be who you are right and and the and the thing that I liked about what Clemson did is they didn't ask Trevor Lawrence to play like Deshaun Watson and they didn't ask Deshaun Watson to play like Taj Boyd and and vice versa. They, they steered into what those guys are. So they were like Dabo was okay with Deshaun turning the ball over. Not maybe not as much. I'm sure there were plays he made that he was like, dude, okay, that's, that's a step too far. Yeah. But Dabo didn't get upset about turnovers the way the media did. Cause Dabo knew if I, if I, if I clamp down on him to the point where he doesn't turn the ball over anymore, then he loses that that ability that he has to make the crazy plays. And I would rather have that with the occasional turnover 
than a, an, an efficient, just do your job, get the ball where it needs to get to kind of guy that doesn't make a lot of plays and also doesn't make a lot of mistakes. It's the same thing with what we see right now with Josh Allen in Buffalo. Like he's going to make some head scratching interceptions at times, but like, are you going to limit what he can do? Because he does some insane things that not mm-hmm. anybody else can really do outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes, right? So, That's right. yeah, it's different play styles. Yeah, live with it. There's no, there's no right or wrong way to play the position. It's just what their style dictates that they play right. that way. The only wrong thing to do is to not build the system around that guy's ability and to try to turn him into something that he's not. That's that's when you make a mistake, right? And and so that's kind of where, yeah. All right, here we go. Let's go to the next question here that we have from uh, Jordan Schreiber. Also, Jordan also asks, who has a higher ceiling in twenty three, Buckner or Sam Hartman? I think I think Sam just because of what you know. You know, he's he's a known commodity. He's a guy that. I know that we're talking about a ceiling comparison compared to a floor, but I think the floor has to be in this conversation a little bit, right? Because the fact of the matter is, is that we're in this situation with Tyler Buckner because he's been injured. There's a lack of development. So I think that the the floor does raise up the ceiling a little bit for me. And I think that if everything goes well, if Tyler Buckner hits his ceiling, that's fantastic, right? And he's going to be a darn good football player. But I think I don't think 2023 is necessarily going to be the best of what you see of Tyler Buckner. I think it's more 2024, 2025. You'll really start to see what the the peak of what he can be. So for 2023 alone, because the the floor is essentially higher, I think that it's Sam Hartman for me. I agree with you based on what you, on the caveat you stated. Yes. All I would say is, is if both players reach their peak in 2023, Tyler Buckner is still the higher ceiling. It's just you don't anticipate Tyler getting there just yet. He he might have if he played this whole year. Right. But again, that's I'll say it again. If Tyler Buckner doesn't get hurt, Sam Hartman's not at Notre Dame right now. Because Notre Dame doesn't look for Sam. They would have looked for the kid that went to UCLA. They'd have looked for some veteran kid that can come in here and provide depth. You know, push Tyler because you want Tyler to be challenged, but you knowing that Tyler's going to win that battle. And this guy's going to be a depth piece. You don't recruit Sam Hartman to do that. And so that's the reality of it. And and then maybe then Tyler does get closer to hitting his peak. But the reality is, is in the last three years, 20, 21, and 22, Tyler Buckner has played three full football games as a starting quarterback. No, two and three quarters games as a starting quarterback. That's it. That's a lot of lost development. And in two of those years, he wasn't even practicing for most of the year in in 2020, all the year, in 2022, most of the year. And so that's why I don't think Tyler's going to reach his peak this year. But if he does, he still has the highest ceiling. There's no question about that. It's just, as Ryan said, we're not projecting that Tyler gets there now. And if he handles, and this also I've said, if he handles this year correctly, he could definitely get there in 2024, in my opinion. Agree. Tommy Guns with an interesting question right here. He says, uh, how would you rank the OC quarterback coach, Tommy Reese, compared to his counterparts in the final top 10? Okay. So Here's let's yeah. let's go to the top 10. Obviously, you had, you had uh, Georgia number one. Mm-hmm. Did they drop TCU out of the number two spot after that? I, I thought you? they said that they ended it too. Am I wrong? I have to look at it. So the, the okay. AP top 25, they left them at two. Good. 
Mm-hmm. Michigan third, Ohio State four, Alabama five, Tennessee six, Penn State seven, Washington eight, Tulane nine, Utah ten. So Georgia clearly better. TCU this past year was clearly better. Mm-hmm. Ohio State is better. Alabama, yes. mm, Tennessee is better. Mm-hmm. Penn State, I actually think he's done a decent job at Penn State. I wasn't hugely high on that hire, and I still don't think he's a great coordinator, but I think he's done a pretty good job um, I, you know, I, with, I look, a, with a very limited player, in my opinion. I, I look. For, I think uh, I think for Penn State, it, the 2020 season is going to by the way, for yeah. those who don't know. I, I think Penn State's that, – that inside look at, at just how good their offensive structure is and stuff will be dependent on what Drew Aller looks like. Because, yeah. I mean – that's where he's going to make his money or not is right, right. there. Sean Clifford limited you a little bit. I mean, right. not a little bit. He he limited you a lot. He, he was a lot. good college quarterback. He was tough, all the great stuff, but there were a lot of limitations to his game. Yes. So now we're going to see okay, what can you do when you do have a really talented kid? That's going to be that's going to be the question that we have. So yep. we'll, we'll we'll find out here very 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 soon. Uh so rest of the top 25 Ryan Washington eight, Notre Dame's better. Tulane nine. I'd take Tommy Reese over over their offensive coaching staff when it comes to quarterback development, and I take Utah Utah at ten. Honestly, I don't know enough about Utah's OC and quarterback yeah. coach to have an opinion on that one. I don't even I, know who know that they, is. So I can't comment on it. Yeah, all I know for them is Morgan Scally is their defense coordinator, right. who's fantastic. But I don't know much about their offensive staff either. Yeah, so that, that that's my bet on that. That I don't know who that is. I'm going to pull it up now to see who it is. To be honest with you, it's Andy Ludwig. Okay. Oh, yeah, I he's know. Been around, he's been around for a while. He's he's good. Um, he's solid. Good. Yeah. He's solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, Tom Reese has a lot to prove this year. I mean, I'm I'm not even really having a conversation about. Oh, he's a top ten guy. He's got a lot to prove to get there. I mean, there's there's the results are what they are. We can we can give all the excuses and justifications and explanations and asterisks and all the all the reasons why they haven't been where they need to be at. Right? We can give all those reasons in the world. It was COVID and. It was you, your receivers got hurt in 2020 and in 2021, it's your offensive line stunk. And in 2022, your quarterback got hurt. And all, there's all these, re, you had a, a lot of injuries at receiver. There's always that explanation. You know, we can explain it all away. It is what it is. The, the key is, is what will it be in 2023? That's the question. Yep. Can he kind of kick down the door? You're four of being a coordinator. So the whole inexperienced thing doesn't play anymore for me. Your roster is now, your first class that you recruited as the offensive coordinator are now entering their senior seasons, sort of, you know, but your first official class for sure are now going to be juniors. And, and what I mean by that is when Tommy was promoted in January of two thousand, I mean, in uh was it December of 2019, like that class was that 2020 class was kind of done. Now he right. was part of recruiting it to a degree, but it, he wasn't the full guy. The first full class that he was a part of was really freaking good. It was Tyler Buckner. It was Logan Diggs, Audric Estime, Deion Colsey, uh, Lorenzo Styles. Now, some of those guys committed before he was the offensive coordinator, but it was as, I'm, I'm not talking about who he recruited, but as far as like his first full cycle and what he's now has to work with, you had Jaden Thomas, you had Kane Barong, Mitchell Evans, Joe Alt, Blake Fisher. Eight of those guys started in the bowl game and your offense moved the ball really well. They're juniors now. 
Yep. So there's no, my point is there's no excuse. Now we're going to really find out what coach Reese is made of. And I think now that he's got a full year of working with Marcus Freeman, they know each other better. He knows what coach likes. He knows what, you know, coach Freeman, I think is kind of has learned Tommy and said, okay, here's what I want, but I'm also going to be, give you the freedom to kind of be you within my structure. I think they understand that much better together now. Whereas before it's like Marcus would say this and Tommy's like, well, I don't want to do, you know, and it was just, it's like anytime you're working with somebody new, it's, it just, it, what it didn't quite go together, but as they learn to each other better, I think Tommy has a better understanding of why coach Freeman wanted certain things a certain way. Okay, cool. I get that now. So I'm going to coach to that. And I think coach Freeman has a better understanding of, of how Tommy works and how Tommy thinks. And there's been some adjustments that Tommy has made in how he goes about his business that I think are going to, really allow him to flourish next year we'll see though right that's a lot of projection we'll see though the point is next year is going to truly tell me if what i think about him is accurate or not because i truly think that if if coach reese can make just a couple more adjustments from what we saw in 2022 and and then some of the things where his offense has run more like i think he wants it to run some adjustments there you know Everything is set up now. You, you don't have to. You can't. Ex, ex, you can't say, "Hey, what's well, the offensive line coach wasn't good enough? The receivers coach wasn't good." It's all there now. If he can make just a couple adjustments, I do think he's going to surprise a lot of people in 2023. I really do. But that's all fine and dandy for me to say. He's got to show it. He's got to prove it. Right. And that's what this year is going to be about. And so hopefully, you, this isn't even a question anymore. Moving forward. You know, the one thing I don't like about Tommy Reese Bryan is his first name. <laughs> first just, name. Guys named Tommy, man, just can't deal with them. Can't deal Why? With them. Did you have a bully when you were a kid named Tommy? Question? Oh, Question? Tommy Gunn. See, why are you hating on Tommy Gunn, man? <laughs> Come That's on, so man. messed up. That's so hurtful. <laughs> I didn't get that at first. I didn't get that at first. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't understand. It's like, did, did, did somebody I, hurt you, Ryan? I, I was bullied by a kid named Tommy when I was young. Okay. Okay. I was like, who hurt hopefully you? Hopefully not this. Hopefully not this Tommy, though. Who hurt you, Tommy. Ryan? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Uh, let's go to the next question. TJ Stalika, should Tommy spend the majority of his time developing Kenny Minchie this year? Sam Hartman will learn quick what Tommy is trying to do. Could it be an advantage if he's hands-on from the start? Should he spend the majority of his time with Kenny Minchie? Absolutely not. You don't spend the majority of your time with your third or fourth quarterback. But where I think TJ is getting to that I am on board with is just because he's not your one or your two doesn't mean you don't make him a bit of a pet project. And to me, I'm telling my GA – this is what this is what your this is kind of what one of your tasks are. You know, mm-hmm. I need you to do this, need you to do that. Like make sure you let me know how the film is going on scout team and things like that. Like I personally would love it if Steve if Kenny Minchie's running scout team this year. Would love it. He's gonna get way more reps running scout team than he is playing against, you know, as the third string quarterback at Notre Dame. He's gonna get very few in season reps. He's gonna still be there for scout team. I I, I I know some players view this as like a like a punishment. I think I would much rather be on scout team than be third string on the varsity level. Much rather because I'm going to get a play in practice, and sure. I'm going against the best that our defense has to offer every day. Now I'm not running my offense. That's the that's the drawback. But I'm getting to play. I'm getting to show off my skills. I I would love to see that uh, for me. And then if you're Tommy Reese, you make sure that you're spending some time, a little bit of time watching that film later in the week. Once all the installs in, maybe Friday, maybe Friday night before a game, you know, maybe, maybe on the trip or something like that. You just watch a little bit of that practice film, see what he's doing and maybe put like a notes package together for him the next week. Maybe 
hey, this is what I need to work with you and practice during the individual because I saw that you were kind of getting – because you got to make sure – the other thing, too, is on scout team, guys can develop bad technical habits. And if you're not on top of that as a coach, that can then help him create some really bad habits you've not got to beat out of him in the spring where if you stay on top of that stuff with the help of the GA during the fall, you don't get to that point in time. Yeah. And that's what I would like to see, Ryan. No, I agree. I agree. I, I think that for me, you can't – the majority of the time, I agree, it's 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 just too much, right? Because, one, I think that we talked about the technical refinement that Sam Hartman needs to have to the offense to kind of assimilate to it. But also, I am a big believer that Sam Hartman, there's still a big level that he can get to, right? There's still been some – turnovers and and bad decisions and there's things that sam hartman just from a technical perspective needs to get better at but there's also you know understanding what defense is throwing at you the processing quicker like there's a lot that i think that sam hartman could still improve on which i think is very it's a big opportunity for tommy reese right like he has the opportunity to turn an all ac quarterback into one of the best in all of college football like a high level kid so i think that that's and and him and tyler have to be the first priority because that's going to be the players that aren't going to play for you a lot in 2023, right? So I think development can't be limited to just one player throughout, right? It can't be like, oh, Sam's good. I, I don't have to talk to him anymore. No, that's not how that works, right? I mean, in order to be a great teacher, a great coach, you have to have attention to everyone in the room and in their own individual ways. So he needs to formulate himself to, this is where my priorities are, these top two guys, right? But I also need to, find some time to work with Kenny to get him extra reps here and there to work with him on the board. You have to understand that because you're not just talking about the present of the program. You're talking about the future, right? And I think to be a great teacher, you need to understand that you have multiple people in the room. You have to understand how to reach them uniquely at times because it's not always going to be perfect. It's not. And I think that that's one challenge that is presented. I would argue Ryan, that if he was talking about, if he would have inserted inserted uh, Tyler instead of mm-hmm. Kenny, I'd have, I'd have been more okay. Yeah, the technical work, the tech, a, a lot of the technical time, the practice time would be spent as uh, on more than anybody else would be on Tyler. Sure, like to me, that's Tyler's big thing is experience and technical improvement. His feet still his feet still got him in some big problems in that bowl game especially just from the pocket. That's that's where I'm spending it. But with Kenny, I'm not there yet. I'm not right. there yet. Yep. I'm going to need to see that. Here, here's an interesting comment from Salty Virginia Peanuts, one of our one of our OGs, and he says, uh, looking back after a few championships, we may conclude that the Stanford loss was critical. Freeman seemed to pull up a lot of slack with Reese, and in general, he stood up. I, I think your focus is a little bit too much on Tommy Reese there. I think he did this in all areas, including yes. the defense. Now, I, I'm forgetting the part after a few championships. That would be very nice. I hope that that's true. But even if they win a championship or if they just become a, a big-time program that maybe doesn't win one but they're really, really good, however however it turns out, I think the Marcus Freeman era is going to be defined by that loss. And, and I mean that in a good way because I think how he handled that loss set up a really strong foundation and answered a lot of questions that some people had. And I think it also caused him to say, this isn't happening again. And if that means I got to run some players off, I'm running some players off. If they're not bought in, if this means I got to run some other people in the program off, then I'm running them off. But for darn sure, we're going to start doing things my way. Yep. 
And I think that's where he stepped up and, and, and really, I think that's the moment he truly became the head football coach in Notre Dame. And I don't mean this like, oh, he was hired. I mean, it's one thing to have that title. It's another thing for everyone to be like, that's the head football coach in Notre Dame and all that entails. I think that the response to that moment is when he is when he truly took hold of that role is I guess a better way of saying it. Then he became the head coach is when he really seized control of that role. And I think that's going to, we're going to look back on be like, yeah, that's that moment. Right. Because I feel like everyone has to have that moment too, right? Like everyone has that moment. Some, it happens sooner. Somehow some, some, it happens later, but, and there's other coaches that it never happens. Right. And that's usually the indicator of good coaches versus not great coaches. Right. right? So I think that adverse, you know, it's cliche and I, and I always say it, but adversity shows you who you are. It does. Yeah. Right. And it shows you who you want to be. And I think the fact that you went through that adversity and you made the, the stand that like, this isn't acceptable. The next step needs to happen. And these are the steps that we need to take to get there. That shows profound maturity for Marcus Freeman, which I think we knew that he had. I think that we both assumed that he would do that at some point, but it needed to happen because otherwise that could be a make it or break it point for a coach, right? If you don't make those changes, then you players are just like, ah, oh, he's a pushover, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to listen to him. We can just do our own thing. And coaches are just kind of like, oh, I can do whatever I feel like, right? Like there's free reign. But I think that the one thing as the CEO, the head coach, is that you need everyone to know that, like, this is my program, man, at the end of the day. Like, I, this is my butt on the line. This is my win-loss record next to my name. This is my legacy that I am also creating. So I think that moment had to happen, and I think the adversity could be very good for him down the line because I think you saw that in a tough situation, he did show that he understands that things need to change. Some guys mm-hmm. wouldn't understand that. I, and I think for Notre Dame was, a, I believe it's going to be a Stanford game, but like some teams don't have it till later. Like I don't think yep. Nick Saban in year one had that. This is when things are going to change moment. Cause the whole year was bad. I mean, he was inheriting a, just a train wreck of a situation. I think when Alabama, when, when Nick Saban kind of was like, okay, this is never going to happen to me again moment. It was really a back-to-back game experience, but it really, to me, began in the 2008 SEC title game. I think the 2008 SEC title game, when they just got – they got kind of – like, look, I know that the score wasn't that bad. It was 31-20. to But to me, Ryan, when you look at how that game was played, it was a butt-whooping for by Florida. Like, Alabama played them tough, but the fourth quarter of that game, Florida just just physically – whooped Alabama in my opinion and then you follow that up with the embarrassment of the Sugar Bowl and I think that was the moment where Nick Saban and and you could even say it was more the Sugar Bowl than the other one where Nick Saban was like we're gonna make some changes Kevin Steele's gone Joe Pendry's gone and and the next year what happens they come out and they're a much different football team but they were a much better football team and that team that next year went out and they were, they just like the things that led to them losing, they were never out physical. They might get out schemed by some people. They may, they have may have gotten out athleted maybe a couple times, not often, but it, you know, it can happen. But man, they were just going to be the better team because th- that Alabama team was not loaded with elite athletes. It wasn't, it was just a great team, but it was a team that became that through the embarrassment of the way that their 2008 season ended. And then the changes that came from it from a leadership standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, and I think Salty's 
point is very good that we're, I, th- I think we're going to look back at how Notre Dame came out of that game mm-hmm. led by their head coach and say, that's the moment that, that Mar- the Marcus Freeman, that's the moment that will ultimately be the launching point for whatever we see come next. In my opinion. I hope so. I really hope so. I think it will be as well, but man, I'm just hoping because Brian, I mean, we talked about this on the show yesterday. Marcus Freeman and the staff put together a season, right? Just a championship level season or a high contention season. This program's going to erupt, man. Right. It's going to because the recruiting that they're doing while still figuring it out on the field from a win loss perspective is tremendous. And just imagine when that happens, man, this program has a chance to erupt if that does happen. Absolutely. I, I yes, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Benjamin Karchi asks, uh, with the depth that Notre Dame has in the running back room, do you see Notre Dame using a lot more different personnel to use that depth? Hope so. Yeah, hope, hope so. so. Yeah. yeah. I hope there's some opportunities. I mean, because you talk about, you know, Audrey Gestime, Logan Diggs, or the known commodities coming back, right? You have Chris Tyree, who's a known commodity as well. But then you have Jadarian Price. You have Jeremiah Love. And those two guys specifically, even Jabron Payne to a degree, they have different skill sets than what like an Audrey Gestimate or Logan Diggs had, right? Like those, everyone always says like, throw Chris Tyree in the slot. And we push back on that a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Jeremiah Love is a guy that literally you can put in the as, slot. As a slot full time. I want to make sure we're clear. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm all for putting him in the slot at times. Right. As a running back that you use on the perimeter in certain looks. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm saying, he's not a slot receiver. No. Notre Dame knows that. But yes. but they also know that he does bring some value in the slot and in the backfield, and that's the thing is use him in all this. But to your point, Jeremiah yeah. Love can line up in the slot and play in the slot. I mean, yes. you know, like, he now, can line up outside and do some stuff no. outside. Right. Like it's yeah. So get, getting that player on the field, getting Jadarian Price on the field with the Audrey Estimates, with the Logan Diggs, with the Chris Tyrese at time, like that's right. Endless possibilities for that five. And that's not even counting Jadarian Price. We could do a little stuff in space too at times, you know? So he's a lot of possibilities. He's a little more Chris Tyree than Jeremiah Love as far as the way you're going to use him in the pass game. Just like Logan Diggs is more Chris Tyree than than Jeremiah Love. Now they're very different. What I mean is Chris Tyree is a running back that can make plays in the pass game. Logan Diggs is a running back that can make plays in the pass game. Jeremiah Love is a little bit of a unique animal because he is a running back that has a unique body type and skill set and, and that he could not be a receiver, but like line up and there wouldn't shock me if there was a game where ever, you know, he, his first year or two where there was maybe a game or two where he only caught passes and didn't yeah. actually carry the football. It would not shock me or maybe caught more passes than he had carries kind of thing. The other thing too is, is special teams is going to have to be an area where some of these backs are involved. For sure example, not. if if Chris Tyree stays and and he's the number three back, you need to use him more. And say, okay, well, what about Jeremiah Love and Jerry Price? Well, if Jeremiah Love is that good, where you just feel you got to play him, then then number one, how about putting him back as your punt returner? You know, if Jerry Price is healthy and you're like, got this guy's got to play, but he's not 100. percent Okay, then put him as your kick returner. Those are ways to get these kids involved as well that I think they'd be wise to use. And then if we're up in a game, you know, late in the third quarter. You get those guys in there now with, you know what yep. I mean? Like take some of that pounding off of your starting backs and all that kind of thing. Those are other things you can do, but you, you really can't go much deeper than three backs as part of your regular rotation. It's just, it can be hard to, it can, that that's where it's like, okay, none of them get enough 
into the flow of the game that they really see it. And so that's you can't you can't overdo it, in my opinion. I, I, I really do. I really do think that. David Lowe says, do we expect any more transfers in or out? Yes, there are uh, going to be some more transfers. So uh, whether or not they all happen tomorrow, that remains to be seen. So we know of a couple kids that that we're expecting to transfer, but I know Notre Dame is trying to talk them into staying. We'll see if that happens or not. So we'll, we'll find out. But, yes, they're going to have to. I mean, they're, right now they're like 90, 91 scholarship players. So they're going to need at least five or six guys to not be part of the team anymore. So I, I do anticipate more. I do. Chris Davison says, uh, asks, how would you like to see the backup quarterback used in 2023? In years past, when QB2 came in from mop-up duty, they were only asked to come in and hand the ball off. I, I want to speak to this, Ryan, because I have talked a lot about this. Yep. Number one, if Tyler Buckner is the backup, some people may not like this, but I do think they need to figure out a role for him in the normal flow of the game, whether it's as a red zone guy, as a change of pace, but there needs to be structure to it. Sam knows when he's going in and Tyler knows when he's going in. I do think that Tyler Buckner is too talented not to have some kind of role as long as he battles and he's in a good headspace. But honestly, Ryan, and this is something that needs to be discussed as well. I understand saying we're going to let Sam play a full three, unless we're just like, like, honestly, there may not be a need for, Sam. I hope there's not a need uh, for him to, play more than a half against Tennessee state. I, I really hope that there's not much of a need for that. So then let Tyler play a bunch in that game, but yeah. then use the last couple of series to get Steve Angeli some reps. But the point is, however you shake it up, number one, put your backup in sooner than Brian Kelly did and let him run the freaking offense. I can't stand when coaches put their backup in and they, and they just, their backups in and they just 13 personnel hand the ball. Now I'm not saying you drop back and you throw it on first, second and third down. Right. But let him run the offense. Let him run the offense, at least for the first couple series. Now, if if you're up 31 to nothing and you put Tyler Buckner in late in the third and he leads you on two touchdown drives and you get the ball back a third time, hand the ball off. Sure. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's okay now. You let him run the offense. But for the most part, I, I they need to go out there and, and play and let yeah. those kids play. That's just the way that it has to be. And I, I love Bobby Bowden's mantra back in the day. He's like, hey, it's my job. These kids worked hard. They deserve a chance to go in there and run the offense. And it's your job to stop them. You can't stop my backups. That's not my fault. That's your fault. That's it, man. So, and especially if the other team leaves their starters in. That's something else I'm looking at, too. Is if I put my number twos in and I look on the other side of the silent and their starters are coming out, we're flat out running our, our offense. Because you haven't quit. So why should we? Exactly. So that's the other part of it. And and you all of a sudden have some nice depth at quarterback too now, right? I mean, you are four, I mean, four deep at quarterback and not even counting Ron Polis. So like I would love to see Notre Dame get those guys some in-game experience when they can, right? Like I want to see that because it's there's just not gonna be enough live bullets around. And you're in practice, there's gonna be limited opportunity for the third string quarterback to be able to play. So if you're against Tennessee state, I would love to see Steve Angeli later in the game. I would love to see Tyler Buckner get more reps. I would even like maybe at some point if you know, a couple of games, you were able to get Kenny Minchie in the game just to throw a couple passes. Like I would love that stuff because all of a sudden from one season to the next, you created a lot of depth at quarterback. And I want to see those kids get opportunity to play at some point because there's limited opportunities going around in practice and in game. Yeah. 
Let's get to the next one here from David. Low hypothetical. Will it be worth Sam Hartman transferring if Notre Dame loses two games next year, but it causes Buckner to transfer? What would y'all's number for wins be? Wins for it to be worth it next year? So if Notre Dame goes eleven and two next year, mm-hmm. and you you the argument is that that you probably would have lost more if Buckner started. If that's the argument, then it's worth it to me. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it it just is. But look, David, you can't you can't look at it like that as a football coach because you don't have a crystal ball, right? Crystal balls are dumb; they're not real. They're not a real thing, right? No one can look at a crystal. I'm not taking a shot at 24, so I'm talking about know, real crystal balls. Just maybe you know they're they're not a they're not a real thing. It's it's a scam, right? I mean, so no one can predict the future. You can guess, you know, you can you can be good at guessing because of statistical analysis, whatever the case may be, but no one knows what's going to happen. You take your shot. You swing your shot, right? I'm swinging for the fences, and 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 they believe that Sam Hartman gives them the best chance to compete for championship in 2023. Maybe it doesn't work out that way, but you're taking your shot, and and I'm okay with that. And if Tyler Buckner doesn't want to stay and compete, that's up to Tyler to decide. I hope he does, but if he decides to transfer, then I'm then I we just got done talking about Kenny Minchie and how good we think he can be by year two. Sure, you got him and Steve Angeli and CJ Carr. And if you don't think he's ready, go to the portal again. I don't want to make a living going to the portal every year, but if you need the bridge, then go get the bridge. But, you know, that's why you coach your whole roster. I hope that Tyler Buckner stays. I, I think Tyler Buckner could be a brilliant quarterback in Notre Dame for a year or two, depending on, you know, how, I mean, he could be just so good in 2024 that it's like, dude's got to go pro. You know, I mean, I hope that's the case. I hope Tyler Buckner stays. And then at the end of 2024, that's a tough decision to make about what he's going to do in 25. I hope that's the case. But if he doesn't want to stay and compete, okay, love you, kid. Best of luck to you. But, you know, this is still what we felt was best for us to win a championship, looking at it from the coach's standpoint. And that's what the coaches need to do. If they feel that Sam Hartman gives them a better chance to compete for a championship, then they got to make that move. And then you can figure out 2024 when that time comes. That's just the reality of it. But you, you, can't, you can't be afraid to make a move you think can help you win because you're afraid somebody's feelings are going to get hurt. You just, you just can't especially with how easy it is to transfer nowadays too, right. right? Like things can change in the blink of an eye and snap of a finger. Like it's wild how that happens. And again, why have you created the depth that you've created? Because things happen, right? Guys don't develop, guys transfer, guys get hurt. Whatever the circumstances are, the reason that you bring in Sam Hartman and Kenny Minchie into the room and then CJ Carr in 2024 is because you want to continue to improve your quarterback room. And if anybody ends up transferring, it's very unfortunate. But at the end of the day, that means that they probably weren't the best guy for the opportunity at the time, right? And that's just a situation that you're going to have to deal with. And it's going to happen in today's in today's college game with how easy it is for players to leave. It's just going to happen. You're not – you're. I, I don't think there's – I mean, there's, there's never going to be an offseason where I think you completely – get away from defections, right? Like there's somebody, some player that leaves to transfer or whatever. It's just sometimes you want that. Sometimes yes. that's a good thing. Sometimes you're going to lose guys that you don't want to lose. I mean, exactly. But, but if it's be, if it's because you felt you, you were going with the guy that gave you the best chance to win, that's fine. You know, if guys are leaving because you didn't coach them up and you didn't care about them and you didn't you know invest in them and because they weren't starters, you just threw them on scout team and didn't talk to them for a whole year. All right, yep. cool. That's on you as a coach. Right, I want more guys willing to stay and compete and battle, like we see at cornerback. From the things I've been told, because 
even though they're not starting, they believe that Coach Mickens will give them a chance to still go out and compete. And if they do next year, go out and win that job, that he will play them if they give them the best chance to win. But even if they don't, they know he's still pouring into them. He's still pouring into them as football players. And he's still pouring into them as young men. And kids that pick Notre Dame will see it through if you're doing that in most instances. Right? Yeah. Now, Drew Pine felt it was best for him to leave. I, I, I'm okay with that. I believe Drew is about to have his degree here very soon. I'm okay with that. I, I'm not speaking bad of Drew. And I and if Tyler decides to leave, I'm not going to speak bad of Tyler. He made a decision that he wanted to make and that he felt was best for him. What I will say is it just means that I have doubts about whether or not he really had that internal fortitude to do what it takes to win. Because imagine if Kevin McDougal was pissed that he didn't get a play sooner than he did. Imagine if Mac Jones got in his feelings because he got beat out by Tua, right? Uh, you know, imagine what Bryce Young would have done if he got in his feelings because he didn't start as a freshman against Mac Jones, right? Those guys saw uh, – I mean, of course, Mac Jones had to wait a lot longer than Bryce Young did, but Mac Jones wasn't the number one player in the country like Bryce Bryce Young was. So, uh, you know, I want to see the guys that see it through. Like when Jalen Hurts transferred, made total sense. They had an honest conversation about you're not our guy. Yep. And he needed a chance to go play. That's completely different to me than what Kelly Bryant did, which I didn't support. You got beat out by a better player. Stay with your team. See it through. Tell, you know, and so, you know, there's every circumstance is different. I hope Tyler stays. And if Tyler is the kid I think he is, then I think he does stay. I really do. If he if he isn't, best of luck to you. And that's why it's so important to keep recruiting big time quarterbacks. Because, you know, you never know. No, you not never everybody know. pans out for reason X, Y, and Z. No one's the same. Right. Yeah. And, and, and 10 days summed it up, right? In other words, you can't coach scared. Uh, yeah, you've got to go scare, for it. Scare money doesn't make money. Yeah. No risk, no you've reward. Go whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever little mantra you want to live by, it's 100% true. I mean, yeah. they're taking a – it's not a – I don't want to call it a chance. Like they're – they made a decision because they think it's what's best for the program. Right. And at the end of the day, without that decision, you don't think that you And they were right? honest with the kids about it. Yes. That's the other thing. They sat down with Drew Pine before the transfer portal opened to tell him what was going on. So if he chose to leave, he could. Yeah. Even though they didn't necessarily want him to, they not necessarily they didn't want him to leave. They knew it was a possibility and they did right by the kid and they told Tyler the same thing. So at least as long as you're honest about it, and then the kids can make whatever decision they think is best for them and their families can steer them in whatever they, course they, they need to be. And, and Tyler's situation would be a little different than Drew's because I think Drew was looking at a center where he was going to be the third quarterback. That's a whole different yeah. situation than what Tyler's in, where Tyler's an injury away, a bad game away, whatever, from being the guy. Drew was like, I need this guy to go down and that guy to go down, and then I'll get my shot. Different scenario, different, different, different thing. I, I get that. I'm, I wish Drew the best. No ill will, no hard feelings at all. It doesn't mean he didn't want to compete. I think he knew Tyler's better than I am, and they're going to bring in a transfer that's going to, you know, they're not going to bring that guy in to sit behind me. I'm good with it. I didn't, all I've ever said about Drew Pine's situation, I don't like how he handled it. I have no problem with the decision he made, but just the decision to not really tell the Notre Dame staff that you were leaving and then, you know, and then it gets out in the media before they really even know what's going on, that's part I didn't like. But that's like a minor thing on, on the big scale of it to be honest with you. Irish blooded says, I agree with both uh, Tyler Bucker and Sam Hartman can run the, the same offense. Would you, would you build your starting line and depth differently depending on the quarterback or more just the opponent that week? 
I think for me, Ryan, you would you would not build your line or your off or your like your your depth any differently. All that would change would be some tweaks to the offense. Yeah. Meaning with with Sam Hartman, when you're running inside zone, you're running split zone or regular inside zone with a backside and you're throwing RPOs off of it. Yeah. If Tyler Buckner is your starting quarterback, you're running read zone off of it. Same thing with duo, same thing with the other things. You're running different concepts off of it that really impact the quarterback more than anybody else. But the players are the same. Players, players are the same. same. Offense is pretty yeah. much the same. Exactly. The past concepts with Tyler Buckner quarterback didn't change a whole lot. There was some. There was actually a little bit more to it with Tyler because he could do some different things. That part doesn't change a whole lot. There's just and and you don't have to change who your offensive line is for that either. I think some of your personnel groupings might change depending on who your quarterback is. I mm-hmm. don't think Notre Dame would have, been, would have been as twelve and thirteen dominant this year if Tyler doesn't get hurt. But they still would have done it. So I, I don't think it changes a ton with those two. It really doesn't. Just some of your emphases will change. That's what changes. And, and they do have. I mean, the one thing about Hartman and Buckner is that they both do, are pretty good at throwing the football outside the numbers as far as the go ball, right? Like they right. have some of those same attributes. So I, I think that offensively, from a passing game perspective, they can do a lot of the same things. I mean, I think like you're going to run a lot of more true RPO off of Sam Hartman to your point, right? I mean, they're still gonna, you're still going to do some RPO with Tyler Buckner as well, but it's just going to look a little bit different. I think that's the perfect way that you summarize it is that the players around you are not going to change. The emphasis is, and the philosophy maybe of what you're trying to do offensively are going to change just slightly, but it's still the same end result. It's just the process is going to change a little bit during right. the play. Let's go to the next question here from Max. Ah, he says, Brian, what are your thoughts on Tyler Buckner's a leader? To me, from a fan perspective, he just doesn't seem to have that rally on me guys feeling. Look, I think I can understand why a fan would think that watching television. I do. I think that Tyler has, Ryan talked about it earlier. He has a very reserved, laid back personality. He is not a, Tyler Buckner's not going to be a kid that throws a touchdown pass and does the Conor McGregor thing like Drew Pine. That's not a negative on either one of them. They're just different. Drew has just got a little bit more outward swagger. Drew is more of a vocal kid and that kind of thing. Tyler's not. Tyler's, you know, Tyler's going to be at a party just kind of hanging out in the corner, you know, and Drew's going to be in the center of it, you know, dancing and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's just different personalities. But I think we saw in the bowl game that the players rallied around Tyler. They responded well to Tyler because they know when he gets out there, he may not be the vocal guy and all that, but he's going to compete his butt off. And they rallied around that. And and you could see it because of how they responded when he threw that pick six to tie the ball game up late. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. There was no cussing. It's like, okay, let's go out there and do this thing. And they just went right back out there and then went right down the field and scored a touchdown. Right? And and that doesn't happen if there's a, man, this freaking guy, you know, you know that kind of thing. He's just got a different personality. Now, do I think that – Tyler Buckner needs to evolve a little bit as a leader. Yes, I do. But he's never going to be that rally on me guys verbally or in a way that you would see it as a fan watching TV. It's just going to be, they know he's going to ball. They know he's going to give them everything they got. They are going to believe, Hey, I got to go block my butt off for Tyler on the series. Cause if I do, we're going to go down and win this game. That's what matters more. 
and and no, he's not like Jack Cohn wasn't that way. Jack Cohn wasn't an in your face, you know, that kind of guy. I mean, every quarterback is different. If you watched how how John Elway led compared to how Dan Marino led compared to how Joe Montana led, Dan Marino would would show you up on the field when he played. This is how he was. Was his personality? Joe Montana was not that way. I don't think one's better or worse. I actually I, I do. But I think they can both work if you're, a, you know, if you're a great player. It's just different. It's just who they were. But at the end of the day, the players respect them, and they're going to play for. Them. I think John Elway and Joe Montana are, are, had a little bit of a different leadership ability, different. But it's just like it's just look. But does it work or not? Do the players respect them or not? Will the players rally around them or not? That's the key. And 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 not everybody gets guys to rally around them because of the verbal outwardness of what they do. And so that's why I can understand where Max is coming from. And I do think Tyler Buckner still needs to grow as a as a leader, but he's never going to look like that in your face rah rah guy. He's just a. I mean, how do you lead? I go play. That's how I lead. And, and I would I wouldn't want him to change his style of how he leaves. To your point, right? Because I, I mean, I even think of like two bet two of the best quarterbacks of this past generation were Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. You know, like those were guys that were kind of put next to each other a ton. Tom Brady was the guy that would choose someone out, right? Would would you know he had a little more outward type of feeling to him. And Peyton Manning was very reserved, right? Like he didn't talk, right? Like he you never know you if you would have flashed to Peyton Manning on the sideline during a football game, any given football game, you wouldn't know whether he was winning or he was losing. He was just that type of reserved dude. And so I don't think there's a this is similar to the quarterback skill set thing we were talking about earlier as far as their play style. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer to it. I just think that you need to steer into whatever you do, though. If that's who you are, you're a lead by example guy, steer into it and be comfortable in your own skin. That's like the biggest thing for me is that you can win either way. And, and I, I totally get that. I, I get it too why Max thinks that. And I would just say that, you know, there's also the leadership behind closed doors, right? That kind of goes into that whole conversation too, just because it's what we see on TV of Tyler, maybe not being that outward guy. Like you don't know what he is behind closed doors. Like you have no idea. Right. So I just think that there's, there's multiple ways to, to skin a yep. cat. Right. There's just, there's different ways to do it. I have a super chat from John Bertucci he says, I know there are a lot of variables, but if you had to guess who is the starting quarterback at Texas A&M in 2024, I said Tyler Buckner. Uh, uh, Texas Tyler A&M Buckner. he said. At, meaning A&M. Notre Dame starts at oh, Texas A&M in 2024. A&M. That's their first gotcha. game is at Texas A&M. Gotcha. So who gotcha. starts at, for Notre Dame at Texas A&M in 2024? Uh, Tyler Buckner. Yeah, name. I mean, if you can, if you if you tell me that Tyler Buckner is going to stay, I think it's definitely him. I mean, it's either Tyler Buckner or Kenny Minchie, probably game one, right? I mean, that's no. kind of where I'm at with it. If Tyler Buckner stays, they're not going to the portal the next year. I think that's yeah. the one thing we can say. I, I You know, unless he's hurt again. And then yeah. – you may have to go that route. But I, I think right now the plan is – the plan from my understanding, talking to sources, is that the, the Notre Dame staff really wants Tyler Buckner to stay. They just yeah. think he kind of needs that year to to work on his mechanics because they they understand that he just got a year of eligibility back this year. Yes. So he still has three years where otherwise he would have had two. If he'd have played five games this year, Tyler would kind of be screwed. and re- He'd have to think more about transferring. Because he's like, if I'm backing up Sam Hartman this year, I got one year, one year to play, and I'm done. Because he played in 2021, that year of eligibility is gone. If he'd have played in five games this year, that's two. So then he sits next year, 
And, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm the backup quarterback. They can't not play me and redshirt me because I'm the backup quarterback. You know, because you can't have your backup. I mean, what if he gets hurt and then he's got to go play the last five games of the year or something like that? Then, mm-hmm. and, and so to me, getting this year of eligibility back was huge because then he can he can sit this year. If his number's called, his number's called, but he still has two years after next year. I think yep. that was huge, huge because I think All Tyler right. needs it. I do. Yeah. His, his game, because it's the lack of development, his the lack of development he's got from playing because of all the injuries and the COVID stuff has really hurt him. And I think that extra year could be, could be, good. Could right, so be now, good how about the other side of it? Who's starting for Texas A and M against Notre Dame? In Do not care. I mean, Connor Wegman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean probably. that's who it'll be. Connor Wegman. So if the, if the coaches are any good, it'll be Connor Wegman. So, but that's will, will Dabo be bought out at that point? I guess that's you mean Jimbo. Question. Jimbo, what I say, Dabo. Yeah, yeah. Dabo. Jimbo, so Dabo. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's interesting is is I mean, look, he's a psychopath. And not exactly the greatest person in the world. But yeah. if Jimbo gives up control of the offense, they're going to be in a much better place now. Bobby Petrino's a way better offensive coach than Jimbo Fisher. Oh, no, no doubt about way that. Way better. Yeah. Way better. I don't know if he's going to recruit and I don't know if the players are going to like him, but if they listen to him, they're going to be a lot better because he knows yes. how to coach offense. That um that situation could go south very quickly, though. <laughs> it could. Yeah. If, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yep. Oh, yeah. Let's get to this next one here real quick. So uh, we got a question from Milton fan and he elaborated. He, hold on a second. Let me get down to here where the question was. He says, uh, uh, Brian, you seem to have modified your view on Tom Reese. Not saying it is a bad thing. What is the major driver? I asked him to follow up by what he meant by that. So I could better answer the question. He said as follows: He goes in the sense that you seem to be more vocal on giving him a chance and maybe looking at him less critically. There seems to be a shift in my opinion. The shift happened for two reasons, number one. And, and I wouldn't even call it a shift per se. Number one is we're in the offseason, and you always look at things a little bit different in the offseason. It's more of a he is the offensive coordinator. I can sit here and just jump on the show and hammer him and say he sucks every show, which gets old but would make a lot of people happy. Or I could be a professional and say, this isn't at you, Milton fan, and I'm just in general, or be a professional say, okay, here's the things I don't like. Here's what he hasn't done well. Here's what he has done well. And here, here's how he has evolved. And the second part about it too, Milton fan, is understand that he's 30, what's he, 31 now? He's 31 years old. He hasn't been coaching that long. And, and the mistake that I think far too many people make is just assuming that Tommy Reese is what he is. What he was in 2017 as a quarterback's coach is exactly what he is now as a quarterback's coach. And I think that's misguided. And so, I mean, you go back and look at how we talked about Tom Reese like in September and early October. We hammered him after the Marshall game, hammered him after the Cal game, praised him after the North Carolina game. Why? Because that's what each circumstance called for. Because it's not personal. When he does a good job, I'm going to say, good job. When he doesn't do a good job, I'm going to say, not a good job. The problem that I think far too many people have is they just say, well, I don't like this guy, so let me just hammer him on everything. So like Al Washington's the new whipping boy. Everything he does is bad. And and if they do get a guy or something good happens, well, it's not because of him, it's because of this. Right. Al Washington's no different. If he does a good job, you say, good job. If he does a bad job, you say, bad job. And then you kind of give overarching big picture type of views. But if you're not willing to allow your opinion to be changed by the data or by new like information new information new changes then 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 i just i don't know what to tell you 
if you're a fan, I get it. It's a more of an emotional thing. But for me, as an analyst, it's here's what I was critical of with Tommy Reese. Perfect example. I wrote a very critical article of Tommy Reese after the Stanford game about how he interacts with Drew Pine and other players. And I'm not talking about the do your effing job thing. That doesn't bother me. It was, it's just more of other things I've heard about how he interacts with players. And, and so I was critical of it because that's what was going on. That's what I saw. And that's what I heard. And, that, and, and from many people. And as I've said before, by the end of the year, those same people were telling me a different story. Not because they were told to change their tune, because nobody in their name knows who my sources are, except the people that are my sources, right? And so it was in the, they're very consistent, honest people, but it was more of a, I don't know what happened, but something changed. He, he was different because I think he realized what I'm doing isn't getting it. It's not getting it done. I keep yelling at Drew to do this thing over and over and over again. So I can just either keep yelling at him or I can find another way. And I think he found another way. And even though Drew's not, was not good. Drew played better down the stretch and what the limited role he had was. And, and then you look at certain games where I thought, you know, look, a play here, a play there. Like the USC game is a perfect example. If you don't like Tommy Reese, you're just going to look at three plays and be like, dude, freaking sucks. <laughs> you're going to look at the South Carolina game and say, forget the 45 points, forget the third 558 yards. That play call and the goal line on first and goal was stupid. And that's the only thing I'm taking away from that game. Okay, that's fine. You can do that, but that's emotional. That's not practical. What I can say is, Here's some things I really liked from him from the USC game. And here's a couple calls I did not like. And that's what we did. And that's called being an objective analyst. And then sometimes it's like, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot that I liked. And then sometimes, like the Navy game, you rip them in the postgame show, then break down the film and you're like, actually, stuff was there. The quarterback's got to get rid of the freaking ball. The running back's got to see that. And big the call was made. The running back stepped to the wrong side. Or the offensive lineman didn't get out in time. And and it and then you're like, well, okay, that necess- wasn't necessarily a coaching thing. The players got to go out and make the plays. You know, and, and so you I changed my tune. It, so like, to me, we all need to be allowed to be swayed by data. And if you have a and this is why we do the upon, upon further review, because I would find myself having the reaction I had after, and this is true for coaches. After a game, you feel a certain way about how your kids did. And then you break down the film. You're like, dude, we didn't play as well as I thought we did. We just, that team just sucked or that team made mistakes. Another time, it's like, you know, we actually played a little better than I thought we did. Or this kid actually was a little better than I thought he did because you can't see everything and you can't rewind and do all that during a game. You have to allow yourself to, to, okay, here's how I feel, but I'm going to be open-minded and I'm going to go back in and dive into film. There's been times this year where I was very critical of, of Tom Reese as a play caller or a play. And then you go back and you look at the film and you're like, oh, I see what happened there. Okay. That wasn't a play call thing. Then you can say, hey, you got to do a better job of making sure your guys aren't making those mistakes. Now it's a, a position coach problem, not so much a play caller problem. You're still, it's still not good, but you got to shift the thing. And that's the other part of Tom Reese, too, is I think he got better at the end of the year. I think he evolved as a coach. The people that I've talked to that saw some frustrations have come back and said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what he decided or who talked to him, but the dude that I saw in November and December was not the dude that frustrated the heck out of me in September and October. So I'm supposed to still crush him for that, even though the data has changed, the intel has changed, the results have changed. 
Why? So that people that don't like him will feel better about it? Look, here's the deal. Tommy Reese has to do a better job in 2023 than he's done in any previous years. Can we all agree on that? Okay, but if if you're not someone who can who can point to good things he's done, then I'm really not interested in having a conversation with you because you're not objective. You're just emotional and you don't like him and there's nothing you can do that you like. You're either pissed that he was a player or in some cases, which is valid, you don't think he should have been hired in the first place. Okay, fair, but he was. And now I'm evaluating the job he's doing, not whether or not he should have been hired four years ago or not. Right? Like, I'm just not going to do that. That's that would be that would make me nothing but a fanboy doing a fanboy show, and that's not what we do. If you if I like if Al Washington goes out there and 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 bounces back and says you know what I did a crap job, I'm gonna go out there, I'm gonna recruit my butt off and he goes out and signs this really good D line class and coaches his butt off this year. Guess what? I'm gonna have great things to say about Al Washington because it's not personal. It's not. I was around Al Washington a little bit this week, this weekend. He's a really fun, personable guy. I just don't think he's doing a really good job as the D-line coach right now. I hope that changes. And I hope that I'm singing a different tune because it's not personal. It's not personal with Tom Reese. It's not personal that I'm praising him because I like him, just like it wasn't personal that I was ripping him because I disliked him. Neither of those things are true. This is my job, and I'm always going to give you an honest opinion that sometimes things change. I used to be a Brian Kelly defender. I, I stopped being so several years ago. Why? Because what happened in the 2015 and 2016 seasons said to me that guy's never going to win here. And the, the the experience and the data and the evidence changed. And so, so did my opinion and my criticism or defense. It was never personal. I didn't like Brian Kelly in 2011 as a person. Couldn't stand him, to be honest with you. But it doesn't matter. My feelings about him as a human being don't matter about whether or not he's a good coach or not. And so that's what it comes down to. So honestly, Milton fan, I may go back to being critical of him again if the September game plans and play calling sucks. Because that's what the data, that's what the experience, that's what the film tells me I should be. And that's where I'm at, right? So I've seen a lot from Tommy Reese that makes me think this guy's got a lot of potential as a coordinator. I've seen some other things that tell me, but he's got to do a lot better and a lot more to turn the potential into production because it's no different than a player. At some point in time, dude, you're a senior now. Why are we talking about potential still? <laughs> right? Same thing with a coach. Hey, bro, you've had three years now. You're 31. You're 32. You're not this 26-year-old newbie anymore. It's time to go get it done. Right? And that's the that's the year he enters into. I think we should all be able to agree on that. But he's got to get it done this year. And I would say the same thing about people who def- who make an excuse for every time he has a bad game or a bad call, people make excuses for it, they're in the same boat, right? We, we, It's okay to be critical of someone you like. It's okay to praise someone you don't, if that's what the if that's what the, the reality of the situation calls for. This will always do. So great question, Milton fan. And I hope that you did not take my answer as a, any kind of attack on you. I'm just, I'm just answering it as honest as I can, because I, I think he was asking a genuine question. About you know, hey, your tunes changed. Why? Whereas some others are like, dude, why are you why are you protecting Tommy? Why are you a homer for Tommy now? Like I get that from some people. Just like other people, like why are you always ripping Tommy? Like, dude, I praised him for three straight games, and I ripped him for this one. Why? Because he did a bad job. It's called my job. It's called being honest, and that's how I, that's what we're gonna do. So, anything you like to add to that, Ryan? 
Nope. Think you said it well. Okay. Why? Thank you, sir. All right. Let's get back to some more questions here from Jonathan Gabrick. Thank you, Jonathan. If the 2024 D line class ends up being Justin Scott, Jared, and Jacob Smith, TJ Lindsay, and Owen Wafel, and the guy from Kenwood, that'd be Marquise Lightfoot. Does that make you feel better about Al Washington recruiting wise? Still has to coach. So just recruiting wise, Ryan, mm-hmm. would that make you feel better? I mean, that's a. I mean, so if they had the opportunity to take all those, because I don't think we expect them to be able to take every single one of those players that were just listed. But if you had a class of Justin Scott, Jared Jacob Smith, T.J. Lindsay, Owen Wayful, and then let's say you could sneak in a guy like a. Marquise Lightfoot or or let's say Bryce Young instead of Marquise maybe even like a Viper type like that right does it make me feel better yeah it makes me feel a lot better because you got a five-star caliber player and you got depth in this class and I think you got a lot of different body types I think that was that was my biggest quarrel with 2023 Brian personally was you missed out on the five-star that we've talked a ton about right Keon Keeley you missed out on another player in Jason Moore but you also put together a really talented four-man class, in my opinion, but they're all kind of very similar, right? Like they fight against each other a little bit. In this class, you have good balance, in my opinion. You have some nose tackles. You have some big uh, three techniques that can also play a variety of different things. You have a strong side defensive end. You have a true Viper. I think you have good variety there, but I would also say, Jonathan, is it like, would I feel better? I would feel a little better for sure. But also, we have to have to remember that the whole Justin Scott situation was turned around by Marcus Freeman. If we're being completely transparent about that, right? So, does yeah. it make me feel better about the clashes in general? Yes, because I think that that's a more well balanced class than year one. But I do think that there's a little bit of context and asterisks that needs to get put next to that one for me. Yeah, and I'd have to know who recruited all those guys. Exactly. So like we've said about last year's class. Okay, last year's class was a really good D line class. He didn't recruit yes. Armo Mukum, and he was arguably the primary for Bubakar. That's arguable. Yeah. Right? Debatable. And Brennan Vernon was already committed when he got hired. Yes. So, like, okay, what was his role in it? So, I'd, I'd have to say I'd have to know what his role was. And like you said, Ryan, the big fish in that group was a guy that the head coach had a primary <laughs> reason for. So, yep. I would hope that the class would be a little bit different than that to be honest with you. And, and I would, I would argue that you're going to need to switch out uh, the kid from, I mean, look, Bryce Young's going to, is going to needs to be in, in this conversation for who is part of this class, first of all. Yep. So yep. that's just something we're going to have to, some of y'all are going to have to uh, uh, deal with and, and discuss. All right, let's get to this next one from Siggy 13. I always get way too amped for the spring game. Last year was a disappointment with Tyler Buckner missing. This year, barring health, what do you see as the series number breakdown, series rep number breakdown for the QB room? Oh, uh, interesting. Way question. too early for this one, man. It's for crazy. me, it would yeah. be Tyler and Kenny, or Tyler and Sam have the first half on uh-huh. opposite teams. Okay. And then the second half is Kenny and Steve. And then, so, you know, so Tyler or Sam maybe. wouldn't even play in the second half for you. No, I mean, it's They're a just, running clock. Okay. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, because the spring game to me is, is meant to be fun. 
It's sure. like, I mean, remember the one year like Brian Kelly put Lewis Nix back there and they ran a court. I mean, it's Fantastic. supposed to be fun. It's a, it's a rule. It's it's a game. You're learning something. You're comp- competitive, but it's also not something that you put too much on. It's right to me. You know, my 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 attitude of that is like your attitude for what how NFL teams view the Senior Bowl. They don't care about the Senior Bowl. They care about the what happens before. Same thing with all-star games. I care more about the battles I see in practice every day than I do about what happens in the all-star game. Yep. You know, and, and so that's how I feel about the spring game. I, it's nice to see it, right? But I've just I've been doing this too long to see the Nate Montanas and the junior jabbies win MVP. And people say Deshaun Kaiser's never going to play a meaningful down because he got outplayed by Montgomery Van Gorder. Okay. The year before he led Notre Dame to the Fiesta Bowl. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I just funny. I just don't care about spring games. I care more about what a guy does in the 14 practices leading up to it. Mm-hmm. But for me, I mean, Sam and Tyler, I'm giving them a half. That's it. Because again, the second half is pretty quick. And if you don't get those younger guys in, in the third quarter, they're not going to get much reps. And I'm going Steve, uh, Steve, Kenny, and, and Ron Paulus in the, in the second half of that game. That's, That's what I would do. I wish no, Notre Dame's going to have a pretty deep team this spring. Mm-hmm. I would not – I mean, they're going to have – I mean, like last year, honestly, you, you you had one quarterback Yep. Like in the first half. I mean, you had him and Steve Angeli and Ron Paulus. Drew Pine, Steve Angeli and Ron Paulus. I mean, you, Drew Pine's literally playing for both teams. You had offensive linemen wearing green jerseys because you didn't have enough, uh, enough offensive linemen to get through a practice. Yep. This year's going to be different. You're going to have like 18 offensive linemen on scholarship. It's wild. You're going to have 10 receivers on scholarship. You're going to have six running backs, five running backs. You're going to have four, five quarterbacks. The depth is not a problem other than safety right now. And so to me, I would like to see them maybe have the third quarter if they can deal with, you got to talk to NBC about it, but I'd I'd like to see the third quarter be a a normal quarter and then Mm -hmm. have the fourth quarter be the running clock. Because I think you need to get some more reps in for some of those young kids in the, in the third quarter. And and I don't know if a running clock in the final two quarters gives them enough rep opportunities for that. But again, a lot of that's – but they got those reps in practice. Sure. But that's what I would like to see happen, in my opinion. Anything to add to that, Ryan? No, I mean, honestly, I didn't really thought about it. I mean, obviously, you know, it was – the situation where Tyler and Sam are going to be getting the, you know, early reps, obviously, in that situation. But – you know, you t- I feel like you typically see most – I feel like most junior day, I'm mean, most junior days, most of the spring games I've seen for other teams, their starter guys fighting for certain jobs do get some second-half reps. That's why I was mostly curious on your take on that. So that's just kind of mm-hmm. my quick thoughts on it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Here's a, here's a good comment from Mark Brown about the Tommy Reese conversation. He goes, I talked to a South Carolina fan after the Gator Bowl about the play calling. There were a few calls I thought were bad calls, which, again, uh, Tommy Reese would tell you that that yes. first, first and goal play call was not the right call. Or not the right call, but they should have called a timeout when they saw that the look wasn't there is what they should have done. Uh, but Tommy Reese called a good game overall. Tommy Reese needs to be more consistent game to game. And I think that is a very fair thing to say. Yeah. hundred percent. Because the yes. guy that just destroyed North Carolina with his game plan and play calling was also the same guy that acting in the Stanford game. I'm like, what, what's going on in this game? I, I think that's the most maddening part about it though, Brian. I mean, to your point is that, I mean, there's some games where you're like, wow, they're doing a lot of unique stuff, right? Oh, wow, a lot more 21 personnel this game. Here's a lot more variety in the run game this game comparative to what we've seen the last couple. I think that you see on it from certain games that Tommy Reese is very creative and he can call a really good game. It's just you don't know what you're going to get from a week to week. I mean, what, what, hap- what happened after the North Carolina game, right? You're like, what happened to the 21 personnel in North Carolina there for a little bit? What happened to the running game variety. Why are we just dueling it to death for four straight weeks? Like it just, it just seemed like the creativity from one week to the next was just very inconsistent to Mark's point. Right. Which makes me wonder, like, was there a reason? Right. Was there something going on that kind of led to that? Because how do you go from North Carolina to Stanford? Exactly. You know what I mean? It was just that the plan wasn't there or was there something that they saw in the week of practicing? Hey, we're, we really struggle with all these things. We we couldn't run the ball in our sky. I don't know. I That's don't know what's either. so maddening about it, though, Ryan. Is like you just yes. you want to say, um, you want to say, hey, you got to be more consistent. And he does. At the end of the day, whatever's going on, if it's if it's the preparation or whatever the case may be, you you need to be more consistent with it. Yeah. But part of that is you need to get your roster where it's where it's it needs to be. Yes. Right. And and part of that is where you don't have to say, well, because one guy got hurt, we can't do all the things we wanted to do. Right. And that's where Notre Dame still needs to get to in a lot of places on this. Right. Agreed. And, you know, we'll, 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 we'll kind of see how it goes from there. Hunter Land says, mailbag of all the quarterbacks talked about, who has the best NFL potential? And if it all hit their ceiling, about where would you see them drafted round wise? So I want to say this first of all, yeah. I am not talking about where a kid might get drafted who has never played a down of foot college football or in CJ so Carr's junior phase, high school has never played a snap as a senior in high school. I'm just not going to do that Hunter, yeah. but I will answer the first part of your question. I mean, CJ Carr to me, when you talk about projecting his game to the college, to the NFL level mm-hmm. has the game that projects the best mm-hmm. and the talent that projects the best in my opinion. So, uh, the, the, I, I, that's how I feel. I mean, so my answer yeah. is who has the best NFL potential? That's that's CJ Carr. Because I don't know I, how well Tyler Buckner's game will project to the NFL at this point in time. You yeah, know? you have to, I mean, if Tyler hits a ceiling, you have you still have to project it a little bit because his game sure. is going to – you're going to have to have a creative offense coordinator with Tyler Buckner. It doesn't mean that it can't happen because, I mean, there's some, there's some very archaic – offensive coordinators who would have looked at Lamar Jackson and been like, I can't, that guy can't play for me. Like he can't. Right. But there's someone in Baltimore that thought that he could play for him. Right. So I think that 
I think that it's possible for Tyler if he hits his potential, but that's a long way down the road, right? Like you need to see a couple more years of development and playing time. But I, I think that CJ, it's the easiest projection, if I could say it that way, right? I mean, the kid is going to be 6'3", he's going to be 2-whatever when that all said and done. He's got a good got a good combination of arm strength, athleticism. He's pretty accurate. Like he fits, right? Like he fits into that profile. I think Kenny Minchie to a degree fits that profile as well because they're pretty similar. I mean, he's going to be a shade over 6'2", so he's not a short guy for the NFL nowadays. Like he'll be fine and he'll have the necessary prerequisite athleticism and talent to be that type of guy. But I think CJ is the easy answer because I just think he has the pedigree. He's got the intelligence. He's got the talent level as well. So I I think that's the easy one for me. Here's, here's one who would be next. I, I would have a tough conversation between Tyler Buckner and Kenny Minchie for two different reasons. One, because Kenny hits some of the same profile that we talked about with CJ Carr, why we would think that he would project, you know, he's got that quick processing. He's smart. He's six, two plus, like he's got all that. Right. But I do think that there's a world where Tyler Buckner hits a ceiling that he's an NFL kid, just because there are going to be some offensive coordinators that want that type, you know, it's just about, landing in the right situation at that point. But I think it's CJ. And then I could have a conversation with Buckner or Minchie, depending on it. That's fair. I'd have to see Tyler evolve more as a pocket passer. And I need to Agreed. see Kenny's arm strength develop yes. before I'm ready to project either one of them to uh, where they'd be in the NFL. So that's the, that's the, how one, how either one of those two things gets developed is going to determine a lot of that for me. I, I I'd like probably say, Go ahead. I, I like how we didn't talk about Sam Hartman, who literally had draftable grades this year uh, yeah. from the NFL teams. Well, cool. I mean, I kind of look at him differently because his he's kind of already at his ceiling. Yes. Now it's just about fitting him into what Notre Dame does. Yep. Right. I mean, he's six one. He's two ten. His arms gonna. His arm is what it is. His game is what it is. Is what uh, it yeah. is. So, uh, you know, I just I don't. Um, I don't see it like I just to me he's he's a guy that I just don't see with the same ceiling as we've said yes. like we said Tyler Buckner has a higher ceiling. Yep. My hope is that Sam can work himself into the you know late day two if he's able to go out there and just rip it up at Notre Dame early day four. But I mean I'm sorry in a league where Skylar Thompson and Tyler Huntley started playoff games, the NFL should be desperate for a kid like Sam Hartman after if he spends a year at Notre Dame and does what I think he's capable of doing. The disrespect to Skylar Thompson, man. Disrespect. I mean, I, look, I loved him in college. I mean, I've yeah, said this before. Two kid. years ago, if he doesn't get hurt, Kansas State goes on a run. I, I mean, I loved him as college quarterback. He should not be starting playoff games in the NFL. I mean, I, I know you're joking with the disrespect. Oh, no, I know. I know. But th- yeah. that's a fact. I mean, Anthony yes. Brown started games in the NFL this year as a rookie. I, I that's think a problem. That, I, I think that the Miami Dolphins would also agree with you that it was yes. a problem. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes, that is um, – anyway, that's where it is. Anyway, Kyle Wade with a super chat, he says – or with a, uh, a question. Are either of you guys accessory people? As in, do you guys wear jewelry, watches, or have a closet full of suits and business type of clothes? Do you collect any other random interesting things? That's an interesting question. Uh, no. I mean, to the point where, Ryan, my wedding ring sits right here beside my desk. I have it right here where it's always visible. And if I, I put it on if I have to, but I don't wear it. I don't like, yeah. I don't like how I've never really been a watch guy. I, I'm not a, I wore earrings my freshman year of college 
because I thought the chicks would dig it. And I used to wear a chain back in the day, just like a gold chain that a friend of mine bought me. But once that thing went kaput, I stopped wearing that. I, I don't I'm, I don't like things like I feel restricted. I have a really weird phobia with like being restricted with certain things are tight. I don't like that's why I don't like watches. That's why. And like even when I wore wristbands in college, I would have them up here. I didn't like mm-hmm. them being around my wrist. So I don't know what it is. It's weird. I hated getting my ankles taped. I mean, I had to. And and I was dumb about it. So like I sprained my ankle my red shirt sophomore year in fall camp. And then uh, made my first start that year. So against Chuan College is when I made my first career start at quarterback. And because my ankle felt fine, I didn't get my ankles taped that game. And of course, I got rolled up on and missed the end of a series and got had to get taped and, and listen to my trainer rightfully rip me a new one on the sideline. Uh, but I just I didn't like that feeling of being restricted. So that's part of the reason I don't like. But yet, then I wear hats like that. You know, but it just—it's more like on my extremities. I don't know what it is. I just—I don't like it. It's just a weird. Yeah. A, it's like I'm claustrophobic on my wrists and ankles and neck. I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know what it is. That's funny. Uh, do I collect any random? In, I don't. Not. I have a like a twenty thousand baseball cards in my closet that I collected when I was a kid. I have a lot of football. I don't cards do that anymore. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Guns I, and ammo. I mean- <laughs> <laughs> it's about the only thing I really collect right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. I, I mean, I'm the same. I'm kind of the same, though, similar. I mean, I wear my wedding ring, obviously. I have a lot of hats, a whole lot of hats. Um, I usually have some type of band on here. You know, you know, like when you're when you're coaching or something like that, you know, the bands that they give out to the team and stuff like that. I, I would always have like one of those bands on type of thing, but I don't have one right now. I guess tattoos. Can you collect tattoos? I mean, I, I like tattoos. Oh, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a, a that's a so that's something. I mean, I yeah. think that's it counts to me. I mean, you collect it; it, it doesn't go away. It may change it's over time as your, as your body type changes, but yeah, I mean, yes. that could be something. My sister's yeah. like that. My sister has like a she has like a tattoo like all up on her arm. It's like it's all like means something. Like there's like something for her three daughters, something for her son. There's always like some kind of yeah. meaning behind it. But she loves tattoos. Uh, her husband loves tattoos. I mean, it's, it is what it is, right? Like they, but it like, it's not just, Hey, I'm going to go get a tattoo because it's Tuesday. Right. <laughs> right. It, like there's some sort of meaning behind all of them. So I view that as like collecting things in my opinion. Yep. My, my daughter right now is blinged out, man. She's blinged. She, she, dude, for Christmas leading up, she was like, daddy necklace. Daddy, can I have a necklace? Like, sure. So my, I got her necklace. My mom got her necklace or, or uh, my mother-in-law got her a necklace so she's got like three different mickey necklaces mini necklaces nice. which is just hysterical yeah yeah that is really funny that is yeah. really funny so she's yeah got all, int- she's got all the jewelry already man she's two years in- old she's got interesting all the question interesting yes. question uh i've never liked wearing suits by the way i've i've always been a jeans and a hoodie kind of guy or shorts and a t-shirt kind of guy when it's nice outside i i don't like wearing suits Oh, you know what I you know what I did get into last year a little bit was um I agree because I'm also a hoodie guy. Hoodie short weather is the greatest time of the year ever. But I I did last year when the NIL stuff started popping up or whatever for kids, I did start buying a bunch or not buying a bunch, but I started buying some college players' gear just to you know support them and do all that type of stuff. So I have a random assortment of college athletes' memorabilia, I guess, or yeah. So there you go. All right, next question from two-parter from 99 Problems, but BK ain't one. Still love that name, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Brian, when you say Kenny doesn't have Dante's arm, do you mean arm strength, ball placement, et cetera? And if so, 
Uh, is it so different that it matters? Number two, uh, to me, it seems like you have to have enough arm, but not Josh Allen's arm to be an elite QB. So what this means to me, Ryan, is a couple mm-hmm. things real quick. Yep. Uh, number one is the ease of throwing. Dante has a as one of the easiest throwing motions that I've ever seen. It's smooth, yep. and the ball explodes out of his hand, which means he's going to be really accurate. The less effort you have to put into a throw – the more accurate you're going to be because the harder you throw, the harder you have to like exert your body to throw with power. It's just natural. You're going to grip it tighter. You're going to be more constrained. It's like when you see people run that aren't track people, there's like a, you know, it's like, Nope, that's not how you run. Then you watch track people and, and there's, they're exerting themselves, but then you watch them and like they're, do the slow mo like their muscles are bouncing up and down their faces because they're not like the head doesn't, the head doesn't move. Yeah. They're not fighting themselves. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of times, the harder you grip the ball, the less accurate you're going to be because it's going to mess up your release point. And so the more sort of loose you can throw the ball, the better. Kenny has a loose arm, but so the ball just comes out of Dante's arm with more power and just with more speed, more velocity. Uh, I think Dante can throw it a little further, it seems, even though he doesn't throw the ball a ton in high school, which you see him at these different camps. He can launch it. Uh, and, and he's just a more natural passer, in, in at least in the settings we've seen. He, he's he got to show me he can do some of that stuff in games. Some of the stuff Dante does in seven-on-sevens and things are not things you can do in a game. Like there was a throw he did in a game or in, in the, at the Army where he's like, it's in the seven-on-seven, and he takes it and he, he just – like from the pocket, he throws the ball like this. You have five offensive linemen and four defensive linemen right there. You're not making that throw. It's going to hit one of your guys in the butt, right? So there's some of that that you got to, okay, I don't care about that throw, but it's just, it's just, it's arm strength. I mean, arm talent, it just feel for the game, putting the ball where you need to go. Just, it's like a point guard, you know, can you control exactly where the ball is going to go? Yep. And what separates the great point guards from the not great point guards to me is two things. And this is very broad, but it's one vision. Mm -hmm. And can you put the ball, do you have the control over the basketball that you can put that sucker wherever it goes. What makes a great bowler a great bowler? It's not so much I throw this many RPMs. It's I can put that sucker out over the, the panel or the wood or the mark or whatever my aiming point is every single time, right? And and it's going to go where I need it to go to. My arm swing can be consistent, all that stuff. Quarterback's the same way. And Dante can control his release point no matter where his arm is. And that is a really impressive thing. And he can throw with velocity no matter where his arm angle is. And that's what I mean by the arm talent. It's it's that right there. Seeing Dante in person, he's just one of those kids, man, that just looks like he was just born to play football. Like, it just seems like he was born to throw the ball. Like, that's just what he has in him, right? And it's just 99 problems. It's, It's hard to quantify without actually seeing them, right? It's just Kenny has a loose arm. I agree. Kenny, the ball comes off pretty naturally. He's a natural thrower, but there's just a difference. Like you see the snap, you see the the conviction that he that Dante throws with. It's just a little different, man. Again, I think they're similar. It's just Dante's like a supercharged version, man. Like it's just for whatever reason, he was given a gift that he could throw the football just about as any good well as anyone or as naturally as anyone. Like that's just what he has in him. You know, Kenny right. has to work at it a little bit harder. You know, it's just it's just like a natural feel to it. Yeah, I I actually somewhat uh, 
somewhat disagree with that, but also agree with it because I think Kenny has had to evolve to that point. Kenny doesn't throw, didn't throw the ball as a sophomore. Like he throws the ball. Now he had to kind of grow into that. He, you know, he needed a little bit of a physical development to get to that point. Now he's there now, but Dante was that way as a freshman, as a skinny little freshman who didn't have a very strong arm. He still had all those things, you know, it's just Kenny had to get there. And that's the difference. But I mean, they're very similar and, and I'm totally fine and happy getting Kenny Minchie because it's not always just about the arm talent. You need the talent here and you need the talent here as well. And I think that's what is going to separate Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr from, from, you know, some of the other guys in my opinion. And I hope that Dante has that. Cause I actually, I don't dislike Dante at all. I just think he was, didn't have good um, guidance is what I'll say. And not everybody was necessarily looking at what was best for him. Some people were looking at what was best for them. Not, not, a, not, a, not a great support system around yeah. him. Yeah, that would that would be uh, that would be it. One right. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, real quick from here. Super chat from Raymond Horton. It is okay to be biased as long as you're honest. Yep. Well, I think it, if you if you recognize your bias, then it's hard. Then you can't be biased and honest. Yep. Where I think that's true is when you don't recognize your bias. Ryan, how much more time you got before you got to run? I just trying to find a couple more questions here. Got got a Bef- jet in a second. Okay, so let me see if there's any more here that I definitely need you to get to. Okay. Uh, any kind of recruiting questions? Here's here's an interesting one. No, mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask that one. Um, yeah, here's 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 here it is from Joe Medina. Mm-hmm. He says, if Drew Pine shows to be a better, more competent quarterback under Dillingham, will it make Reese inability to develop a quarterback look bad to recruits and their families? I think it's a very interesting question. Like, I get why you made that face. I actually think it's a it's a fair question to ask. Give your answer. I mean, my immediate response was no, not really, because the situation is going to be a little different, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to play in the – Pac-12 against, you know, not the greatest level of competition. I mean, do you give Kenny Dillingham credit for it? I think that you give Kenny Dillingham a ton of credit for being able to bring him into his system and then take the next step with him and to get more consistency out of him and everything. But, I mean, I think when you're looking at Drew's game, like I just think that there are some deficiencies to it, right? And, I mean, in my my opinion, I I don't really blame Tommy for a lack of development with Drew. I mean, I just think that there's just some things that just – can't teach you know you plus can't you can't just like you can't give tom reese all the credit if sam hartman comes out and balls out this year mm-hmm. you got to give him some credit but sure. you're going to say well he had this developed at so and so right because if you're going to go there then you got to give tommy all the credit for how well jack home played last year none to wisconsin right? right so there'd have to be a level of consistency there tommy got drew to a certain point now it's up to kenny dillingham to take him to that next level with more experience, but it was Tommy that got him to that point where he is, where Kenny Dillingham is getting the product that he's going to have. No doubt. Now, where I think it's a fair question is, is this will be brought up by fans. If Drew Pine goes out there and plays really well for Arizona state, you know, it's going to be a topic of conversation. Oh, absolutely. And, and so, and that, so that's fair. And, and I also think too, is don't think that other schools won't use that against Notre Dame. That's where I'm coming from with it. Well, look how much better Drew Pine was at, with Arizona State. Do you really want to go? And it doesn't have to be killing Kenny Dillingham doing that. It could be another school that's recruiting against him for quarterback. So I think it's something that could certainly happen. But if Sam Hartman comes out and balls out this year, no one's going to give a rip. Because they're going to say, well, you can't give Kenny Dillingham the credit for Drew Pine if you're not going to then give Tommy Reese the credit for Sam Hartman. Can't do that. Doesn't make sense. So I think it's a fair question. I, I kind of initially had the same reaction you did, Ryan. Like, of course not. 
But I can definitely understand why the question is being asked because that will be a topic of conversation. If Drew Pine, like if Drew Pine in their first game goes out there and throws for like 350 yards against some FCS team, no, that's absolutely going to be the topic of conversation. You know, oh, I couldn't time. Well, he did go back and watch the North Carolina game, but whatever. It is what it is. So I know you got a, a jet, Ryan. I'm going to work through the rest of these questions here uh, and get through them as much as I as much as I can. So yeah, I, I did I dig that I did like that comment, Joe. I think it's a very very fair question to ask. Let's go up here to Colin Park. How realistic do you think our chances are of flipping Caleb Beasley? Would we continue recruiting Aaron Scott if he did flip, or is two cornerbacks the goal? My understanding with Aaron Scott is they're going to they're going to recruit him until he tells them no. The goal in is two two corners in this class, but as with anything, some guys are just too good to say no to, and Aaron Scott would be that guy. So I think they would continue to recruit him, and I think they would continue to recruit Caleb Beasley as well. I think they love Caleb Beasley. They love Aaron Scott. How realistic do I think the chances are? They're realistic. I, you know, look, he's committed to Tennessee. No, Marcus Freeman is going to his high school today. He's going to go there to watch him play basketball. Marcus Freeman's not going to watch Caleb Beasley play basketball if they don't think there's a chance that they could flip him. It won't be easy, but when you've got Marcus Freeman and Mike Mickens on a kid, it's possible. It's possible. And the reality is, is Caleb never stopped talking to Notre Dame. The communication is there. If the roles were reversed and he committed to Notre Dame and he, but never stopped talking to Tennessee and the Tennessee coaches were going to see his game stuff. Notre Dame's going to be flipping out, worried that he's going to flip, right? I think we, I think that would be very true. Well, the same thing is true here. Do I think he's going to flip? I'm not predicting that just yet. I mean, I need to see that he's willing to visit again or, you know, just really buying into what they're going to say again. But as long as he keeps talking to him, there's a chance. No doubt in my mind. And, and Caleb Beasley is a great Notre Dame fit. Personally, I think he kind of got caught up in the hype of the great season that Tennessee had and the great environment. It's in-state school. There's all the pressure to kind of go there. They were hot. He's a Notre Dame kid. Caleb Beasley is very much a Notre Dame kid. And, and just you meet his family, you meet him. He's he's he has likes and interests beyond football. He is a really good student, goes to a great high school, really good parents, like really strong family, loves Notre Dame. I honestly think he just kind of got caught up in the Tennessee buzz. So I I think that he eventually could be one of those kids that ultimately realizes like, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I fit more there than here uh, as a person, not just as a player, but as a person. And I could see that because he's a very, he, when you think of like Notre Dame kid, he's a lot like Benjamin Morrison as a young man, like great family, uh, really good student comes from a really good high school, uh, has interest beyond just football, confident, but humble, uh, competitive, like there's just a lot of things where you're like, man, that kid just really fits in at Notre Dame. I just, I think you've got to convince him of that, right? And like I was told this about Christian Gray, it, very similar situation. I remember talking to a source at Notre Dame, and we were talking about Christian Gray, and we're sitting down having lunch. And at the time, Notre Dame was fading with Christian Gray, and Ohio State and LSU were surging. Now Notre Dame hadn't done anything wrong; they were still recruiting him hard. They still loved them. It's just the new schools were LSU and, and Ohio state. And they're the two teams battling for DBU. And for a time there, Christian was like, boy, I really like this. And he got kind of sucked into that. But what the coach said to me, what the source said to me was he's a Notre Dame kid. He just doesn't realize it yet. And he eventually realized like, you know what? Like I fit better at Notre Dame. Yes, I can. I can still compete for championships there. 
I can still get coached by an outstanding coach. I can still do all the things that I want to do football-wise at Notre Dame. But I, as a young man, beyond football, fit in better at Notre Dame. And that ultimately is what led him there. And doesn't it's not a knock on LSU or Ohio State. It's just some kids fit certain schools better. And I think that's kind of how I see it with Caleb Beasley as well. I could certainly see that being the case. Let's go to the next question from uh, Rob Thidoff. Brian, what's uh, more likely next year, Notre Dame has a new men's basketball coach or Notre Dame football has at least one Heisman finalist? At least one? I don't know. Um, I would say it's more likely that they have one Heisman finalist. I just Jack Swarbrick has never really shown much of an appetite, from what I can tell, for moving on from Mike Bray. And you know, I think in some people's minds, Mike Bray has done enough in his career to kind of walk away when he wants to. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I think this season has been incredibly disappointing. Beyond that, I don't have a lot to say because I don't I don't really like talking about firing coaches, but um this year has been incredibly disappointing. And if they don't reverse course in a hurry, you have to wonder. With this much, I was talking with, who was it? Was it was Patrick Angle from Blue and Gold Illustrated and Tyler James from uh, the Rival site. And we were at the junior day on Saturday. And they cover basketball. We don't cover basketball. I made the decision not to cover basketball because for a, a million reasons. But Tyler uh, Patrick was pointing out that there are, there are NBA teams that put younger lineups together than Notre Dame does this year. <laughs> That's pretty bad. And to see them not playing. And then the only young guy you play uh, at the guard position is a five-star, an elite player. So it, it's it's they're vastly underachieving this year. And it's it's sad to see. It's disappointing to see. But the women are pretty good. Robert Bishop asks, will Bronte Johnson, uh, what position will Bronte Johnson be playing in college? As of right now, the anticipation is safety. But honestly, he's a guy that could, could play receiver as well. I think he's more of a natural defensive player. I think Notre Dame likes him more at at um, safety, but I know he kind of likes receiver as well, so I could see that. I could see him being in a situation where he could play both of those, depending on how the classes fill out. But I think right now the projection is that he is going to be a safety at this point in time, but he does have some positional versatility. There's no doubt about that. Let's go to the next question from Gavin Harden. Gavin says, do you do we have any clue at what home games, uh, what home night games Notre Dame will have this year? Well, there's one game for sure, and 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 because it's every year, the when the California team comes to Notre Dame in October, that's a night game every year. I can't tell you when the last time that they they had a had that where it wasn't. I, I honestly can't remember the last time USC or Stanford wasn't a night game. It's been a while. And and so I think 2010 it was a day game, 2011 was a night game against USC, 2012 was a day game against Stanford, 2013 was a night game against USC, 2014 was a day game against Stanford, 2015 was a night game, 2016 was a night game against Stanford. So once they had the Stanford home game in 16, and then 18 was so. It would be then 15 or 2014 was the last time that game wasn't a night game. So I, I fully expect that to be a night game. And then they'll pick one other. It would not shock me if it's Ohio State, but I got to see how the rest of the schedule kind of plays out before I'm ready to completely go there because it, you know, they, they may want to, the reason is, is they may want to space those games out a little bit more, to be honest with you. 
Um, so, I mean, you look at – they play Ohio State the last game of September. So that'll be September 23rd. And then USC is like three weeks later. So they may want to space it out a little bit more. But you get into November, you know, you've got Clemson on the road, Stanford on the road. The only potential home game you could have in November would be Pitt. And I imagine Pitt will be somewhere in between, you know, Clemson and Stanford to make sure you get a home game. They're going to have a lot of November road games this year. So my my prediction would be Ohio State and Stanford or Ohio State and USC would be the two night games would be my prediction. So uh, that's my prediction. That's not definitively telling you what it is, but my prediction. John Rich says, I'd like to be excited about the high-end 24 committed and potential kids, but after the 23 guys that left, I look at early commits as going steady, signed LOI is engaged, enrolled as married. Look, I understand that. I do. My my frustration is, is that we, we forget that there was a lot more kids that stayed locked in to their commitment than left. Braylon James never wavered. Jaden Greathouse never wavered. Rico Flores never wavered. Cooper Flanagan never wavered. Charles Jagasaw never wavered. Sam Pendleton, Sullivan Absher, Joe Otting, they never wavered. Uh, Bubakar Traore never wavered. Devin Houston never wavered. And Brennan Vernon never wavered. Drake Bowen never wavered. Wavered. Jaden Osbury never wavered. Christian Gray never wavered. Micah Bay ne- Bell never wavered. Adon Shuler never wavered. And Ben Minich never wavered. So, and then some kids, they got late. And then some kids, they flipped and then wavered from their other schools. But like, that's a whole lot more kids that, that never wavered than kids that left. We just tend to focus on the ones that left. And, not, and partly because that's just human nature and partly because they were some of the highest ranked guys. I get all that. But like, let's just say hypothetically that Justin Scott commits in their name. Hypothetically. And I'm just using this example because he's a five-star and Keon Keel is a five-star. People say, well, I'm not going to believe that Justin Scott's picking their name until he signs. I'm like, that's fair. I get that. But not every kid is the same. Keon Keeley's from Tampa, Florida. His situation is he's surrounded by SEC, and there's a big push where he is, where he lives, to not go to Notre Dame, to go somewhere else. There was a push from people around him to consider things other than what Notre Dame has to offer. Fine. I'm not criticizing it. That's just a statement of fact. Geographically, he was not in a pro-Notre Dame area. Like, Around, I mean, there's some people around him, the readers and stuff like that, but like, it's not a pro Notre Dame area. It's not a school that's a feeder school to Notre Dame. There's a lot of reasons why Keon was convinced that he's not a Notre Dame kid, even though you, me, Ryan, everybody believes he is about one of the most Notre Dame kids you're going to find on the defensive line. He is a great fit in Notre Dame. He didn't think he was. Then over here, you have Justin Scott. He's not better than Keon or a better kid than Keon or a better family than Keon. It's just different. And his difference is he's from Chicago. It's an hour and a half away. He's surrounded by nothing but pro Notre Dame influences. His family has is, is got a certain things that they value into making a decision that are going to be more pro Notre Dame than Keon's. That's not a knock on Keon and his family. They have to decide whatever is best for them in regard to what he's going to do. And what matters to him and what are the most important factors to him. And I have no problem with it because he was always honest. He didn't lie to Notre Dame for six months, eight months, a year, whatever the case may be. When he started having doubts, he let him know. And he, and he was very upfront and honest with him. And things that I don't think should have mattered as much to him mattered more to him. And that's totally fine. But Justin Scott's a completely different kid with a completely different family, completely different background, and completely different region. 
and those things matter. The kids that they lost, Detroit public school kid, and we all know the reasons he didn't go there, kid from Florida, kid from Texas, kid from Washington, and a kid from Arizona. None of the local kids wavered, right, that were public commitments. And Dante was never a public commitment. So you can't view C.J. Carr like you do Dante Moore. Different, completely different scenarios. And you can't view Justin Scott like you do Keon Keeley. Not better, not worse. Just They're just different. And that means they're, they're going to have different results. So I'm more concerned about Justin Scott picking another school initially than I am about him flipping. I just I don't see him being the kind of kid that will pick Notre Dame and then flip because the things that would cause him to flip are just not at the high priority of what he's looking for. They're just not. And if the things that are priorities to him lead him to another school, then that's fine. But I don't see him picking Notre Dame and then going somewhere else. I just, I don't see that happening. So every kid's different. Every kid is different. Now, if Justin Scott was from Miami, I'd probably feel differently about that because I would know what was around him. But at the same time, Jaden Hallsbury's from New, from Baton Rouge and he never wavered because he, his support system, and he also viewed as Notre Dame as being what was best for him. So every kid's different, and we shouldn't look at it that way. There's always a level of healthy skepticism we should have about these kind of things. But I'd say wait until a kid gives you a reason. We should have been, and I'll own this, we should have been a lot more skeptical of Peyton Bowen and Oklahoma than we were because we just kept telling you what we this is what we're, I don't know what else to say, but other than what we're told, I, I just, I don't know what else to say. And we should have probably looked at it differently. And we should have probably been more, hey, this is what the sources are telling us. I don't buy it. The guys on my staff will tell you behind the scenes, I very much had that mentality. But I tried to put on a a good face here. Not that I was dishonest, but to say, look, this is what we're being told. And the reality is we should have had more skepticism. Absolutely should have. Because he gave us reasons to have skepticism. Drake Bowen never did. And so that's what it should be based on. Does a specific kid give you reason to be skeptical about his his willingness to stick and not flip? Not, well, because so-and-so did it, then I'm going to assume that this kid did it. And that's just where I think we need to be, in my opinion. That's that's my stance on that. All right. Sarah McCoy says, have you seen ESPN's way too early top 25? Notre Dame ranked 14th overall behind TCU and Utah. Utah is one of those teams perennially overhyped. I don't, and then their quarterback's coming back this year. It is what it is. I get it. I mean, they're the back-to-back Pac-12 champs. I get it. I wouldn't have them ahead of Notre Dame, but I get it. It's fair. And then I look at the other side and I look at TCU. I mean, they they were the runners-up you know, to the national championship game. They're going to lose some guys. They have some guys coming back. So I personally would have Notre Dame ahead of both of them. But I'm all fine with it. I would have Notre Dame in sort of the 7 to 10 range is where I'm comfortable putting Notre Dame going into the preseason. So 14 is not way off from where I'd have them. There, Some of my bigger issues were where, where some other teams were placed, either too high or too low in my opinion. But, yeah, 14 is too low for me. I can know sports this had them 11th. That's more fair. Uh, but, look, here's the reality of it. They play Ohio State, Clemson, USC. It's going to get decided on the field. And, and I'm not saying that to be dismissive, Sarah, because if, if we took that stance and there's nothing to talk about between now and Ohio State, because it's like, well, it's going to be decided on the field. I'm simply saying that in some years, where you start rankings-wise matters because you don't play anybody good enough to kind of 
in that sort of that negative view that people have on you that you're not as good, if you're out there playing a weak schedule, you don't really have that game to prove that, hey, we're this good. For example, you know, 2016, 2018, if Clemson doesn't have a good view of who they are coming in because of what they did in 2015, their schedule was not good enough in some of those years to jump them up, especially in 2016 when they had a late loss. The perception helped them. So if the perception is too low and you don't have games on your schedule that can kind of eliminate that perception, then you could be in trouble. 2023 for Notre Dame is going to be a lot like 2012. What helped Notre Dame kind of climb up the ranks? They won some games people didn't think they were going to win, right? They they beat a, a really good Stanford team who ended up that year in the top 10. They went on the road against a top 10 Oklahoma team and, and beat them by 17. In a game, they led the entire game except for one brief moment where they tied it at 13 and then Notre Dame went right down the field and scored on the very next drive. They, they were the better team that day. So you had those wins that kind of could vault you beyond where maybe people thought you were preseason as an unranked team. 2019, once you lost to Georgia, it was going to be almost impossible to get back into the top four. It was impossible. 2017, different. They lose to Georgia early, but then they had to beat a ranked Michigan State team. They had to beat a ranked USC team. They had to be, beat a ranked Michigan State or, I mean, uh, NC State team. If they'd have kept winning, they would have beat an under, they would have beat a ranked Miami team and a ranked Stanford team. There would have been no doubt that they were in, they were a top four team. My point is simply that the good thing about it is that they do have a schedule this year that is such that they will be able to prove them right, that they are top 15, but not top five, or they'll be able to go out there and win the games and make people say like, yeah, that team's better than we thought. So uh, that that's, that's the point behind that. Jay Carr, what is the deadline to get to 85 players? Aren't we like 93 now? They're not at 93. You're a little high, but they're, I think, 90, 91. I have to go check my scholarship chart. They're they're not going to have a problem to get down to 85. With some of the guys that I know are not going to be there um, and, and some guys that are still deciding, they'll be down to 85, no problem. There's going to be some kids that go on medical scholarships, some kids that transfer, some kids that go on academic scholarships. There's going to be plenty of movement. And what I don't know, I don't think it's either – you got to be to 85 the first day of classes or the first the 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 week of the first game. So like whatever that Saturday is, you've got to be down before that first week is is where you have to be. So that's I believe what the rule is at this point in time. And then Sarah McCoy also says, How about TCU considering Kendall Browse for the new OC? I think Kendall Browse is a good coach. I could see that because he's gonna have a really good head coach slash offensive mind in Sonny Dykes uh, grooming him. So I don't know what kind of recruiter he is, so I'd have to co- not comment on that. But just as an offensive coordinator, I'd, that'd be a good hire for TCU, in my opinion. K. Grant, what a super ch- uh, super chat, super sticker, K. Grant. Thank you very, very much for that. We appreciate you. Michael Keeley, what's one or two tangible differences you notice from the film of prospects Marcus Freeman's recruiting in comparison to BK rankings aside? I think this this staff puts a lot more emphasis on are you a good football player and not just do you have measurables? I think some on the previous staff, like Clark Lee was really big into this. And, and I think Bill Reese is big into this. They really get into sort of like NFL draft, like, Hey, what is your height, your weight, your length? And and they'll kind of, they'll kind of be okay with certain on the field deficiencies because the traits are there and we can coach them up to play. And sometimes that worked, and sometimes that worked with Isaiah Foskey. It did not work with Osiriquanu. 
this staff to me tends to put more they, they value length they value size and they want to get bigger uh that's one difference i think this size puts a lot more value on size up front on the defensive line but i think the the other thing overall this staff loves length this staff loves range but they're more willing to go for a jade nosbury who maybe doesn't have the measurables because he's a heck of a football player so i think this staff is willing to more look at a ben minich and say he doesn't fit the size profile or whatever other profile you're looking for, but good Lord, this kid can do two things. He can run and he can play football. And so I think the one attribute that they kind of use to trump others is they love speed, but they want guys that can play football. And that may sound silly, but look, you see in the NFL draft, why is Will Levis projected as a top five pick? It's not because he's a great quarterback right now on the field. It's not because he's not. He's an okay quarterback right now. That's it. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was part of a team that averaged 20 points a game this year and threw 19 touchdowns and 10 picks. You know, and last year in his good year had 24 touchdowns and 13 picks, right? This is a guy that is 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 a considered a high pick for one reason, one reason only. Tools. Big, strong kid with a huge arm. That's it. NFL is still very much that way, and there's a lot of guys in college football, not a lot, a good number of guys in college football, and BK was this way. I think Bill Reese is this way to a degree, which is understandable when you know his background as a longtime NFL scout, where they care, they put a lot more emphasis on the, the physical traits. Notre Dame loves the physical traits. They loved Bubakar's physical traits, but they also saw a kid that can play football. They love Armel Mukum's length, but they saw a kid that can play football. So they'll take some chances on kids, but they want kids that have other attributes to kind of trump the the other parts of it. So I think they care more about that. I think that's one thing that I notice about this. Jay Henry says, what does Chancey, this is a good question, Jay. What does Chancey Stuckey's wide receiver room need to do, need to do better to support the quarterback one? Number one is play with more sense of urgency as route runners attacking the football um, when they're not the number one or number two target, just playing with a greater sense of urgency, just coming off the line with more purpose, attacking the football with a little bit more purpose. I think that's number one and number two. And just overall, the experience you hope will allow them to play with a little bit more, hey, I need to break this route off because I see the pressure or the blitz. Those are experience things that maybe they didn't have as much experience this last two years that now they will because they've played so much football the last two years. That'll help them as well. But I I think the biggest thing for me is just playing with more urgency and playing more aggressively. I think that's a big thing, big thing they can do, big thing they can do to help uh, help take over. So. Uh, here's one from N. Diana Jones. I like this one. If and when Golden leaves for the NFL, do you think Marcus Freeman ever takes over the play co- defensive play calling duty? I think the only way Marcus Freeman would ever take over play calling duty, and I could be wrong on this. This is just kind of what I was what I was told, but I, I think that the only way that that happens is if it happened like before a bowl game. I think that would be the only reason. And even then, I could see a scenario where he lets one of the other coaches call the plays. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it, to be honest with you. If he took over, like let's say he let's see how going left and and Coach Freeman wanted to hire a I don't know like a another position coach and not a coordinator, and he wanted to run the defense because he trusted Tommy and Coach Eastan and Jared Parker and Chancey and Dillon and all those guys from the offense. I wouldn't be opposed to it, but to me, um, then I, 
that's fine. I just don't think that's necessarily where he where he wants to go. I think he wants to. I think he wants to be the head coach and have somebody else running the defense on a day to day. Is really where I think he wants to be. And and you know that's kind of what I expect him to be. So that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Great, great questions today. Uh, I just really just some really really great stuff. So anyway, we're going to run out of here. We've got a the guys will be there tonight at six o'clock for the IB Nation Sports Talk Show. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to dive into a defensive position. We're going to do offense, defense, offense, defense is how we're going to do this. Friday, of course, we'll have the mailbag, so make sure you're locked in for that. So before you leave, everybody, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening to me via podcast platform, please, please leave us a five-star review. Sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Check out our main website where all of our content is free at irishbreakdown.com. And most importantly, have a great rest of your day. We'll see you again on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.